Hold on. I think I've got too much Kyle for some reason. We look pretty. Let's see. I mixed three, I think. Kyle, check your mic. Check, check. One, two. Keep going. Quigley on the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Quigley on the mic. Captain Quigley on the mic. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it's always our job to arm you with the tools you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mono narrative. And uh, today it is Jake's birthday, so we're celebrating a little bit. Kyle, what are we talking about? My name's David. That's cool. (laughs) Happy birthday, Jake. So the Republican presidential debate, the third one happened yesterday, day before yesterday. And uh, we'll be discussing that as well as doing a ranking order of our current presidential favorite candidates. Uh, Additionally, we're going to discuss the manifesto of the Covenant school shooter, uh, Nashville shooter, uh, finally got released by Louder with Crowder, which is a very interesting uh, story about the story itself. And while you're here, like and subscribe wherever you're at. What are you doing? Go do it. All right. And we also cover up a bunch of topics, uh, chapter marks down below on whatever platform you are. And uh, also join our Discord where you can share news with us and kind of give us stories to talk about on the podcast. The IMF put out propaganda to explain to the plebs what inflation is. They didn't mention the money supply. I wonder why. The Biden administration bypassed 26 federal laws to build additional border wall in South Texas. Somehow they still managed to blame Republicans for this horribly racist act. A Pentagon official was charged by federal authorities with promoting and furthering an illegal dogfighting ring in Maryland. The Republican caucus did not appreciate the characterization. For all these stories and more, join the Discord. To let us know what we should cover in the next episode of Human Reaction. Here to talk about all these things, David Rand, the bald eagle of liberty, (laughs) Kyle Mack, pudgy penguin, crypto degenerate. Uh, My name is Joe Sheehan. I'm the voice of the everyman, and I ask questions that hopefully you are wondering at home. And Jake, uh, a.k.a. Nate, our producer, editor, and general, birthday boy. general producer extraordinary and birthday boy. So I, I feel like there's so many inside jokes that were just said. Yeah. And <laughs> well, there, hopefully, you know, you're inside of the joke too now, right? That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Happy birthday to Nate, our editor. You're our favorite Mossad agent. <laughs> <laughs> the joke now is that uh, Jake only joined the show because he's our, our personal fed boy and he's here to uh, inform on us to the CIA. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the CIA starts pumping our numbers and we stop getting banned every time we, or like shadow banned every time we talk about the CIA. Yeah, put in a good word for us, would you? Yeah. Will do. Okay, thanks. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. The Republican presidential debate happened. I'm not wearing that any longer than I have to. Good, so, me either. I'm a yeah. serious adult man. Yeah, we don't we, we don't want no clips with us being like, happy birthday, because everybody's going to be like, whose birthday? What's happening? <laughs> the Marines. It's the Marines' birthday. That is it, is. it is. It is. Well, the question is, Joe, I'm uh, how did Dick Cheney with heels dress? That's what everyone needs to know. Everyone's on the internet saying, does Joe like how Nikki Haley's dressing? <laughs> I love how I've just become a fashion critic <laughs> by way of Joe Sheehan, the fashionista. <laughs> the fashionista. Really? Picture, Kyle? My Bring opinions matter we gotta, so we gotta, much. We gotta, we gotta see it. Bring oh, it up. I don't have her right here. Oh, come second. on. Well, look, I, I'll start by saying that, um, you know. What was the outfit? How I, was the look? Well, I think, it, I think it was, I think it was good. Right. I think it was good. It was, it was clean and professional. She looked really nice. Uh, I, I think this is the, her best effort to date from the wardrobe department. If you ask me, 
All right. So does the uh, now we have to criti- criticize everyone's dress, otherwise okay. you're a sexist. Yeah. No, you're pig. right. You're right. Of course. Well, all okay, the guys so are just like normal. Look, right? look at DeSantis. <laughs> okay, this so he looks a little rigid, <laughs> just a little. He looks almost like sort of a like like Ken's cousin, like Ken Doll's like awkward older cousin. It's just like my feet hurt, man. <laughs> it's like God, these these pumps are he's, really killing me. These three inch heels, man. I got. He does that look tall, mark. though. He does uh, look tall. Yeah. I don't know. I like the monochrome vibe. It's uh, I mean, you know, you know me, black V neck. I'm a big fan, so I think I like the color scheme he's got going on. I don't like. I don't like that tie with that jacket. No. Yeah. Well, it's it's also hmm. like it's a Republican debate. You're supposed to wear a red tie. Isn't that like the the standard protocol? What are you doing, man? I don't know. I mean, look. Yeah, also, button a, your jacket. You're standing up. Are you slovenly. Come on now. See, I, I think I think he's going for something a little different. He's trying to set himself apart. I think he's succeeding in that. Obviously, not in your mind. <laughs> he's not winning your vote with this attire, but uh, but he does stand out from the red and blue background. Whereas Vivek is blending in to the red and blue background with blue and red. It's just it's just there's a lot going on there. Is it washing him out? Um, it's just different enough. He's he's hanging in there. But uh, I think Nikki Haley actually really does like show the best in this in this uh, yeah. this frame. We've established that you're a sexist, her- terrible human being. Glad to be here. And how dare you talk about what a woman wears? Yeah. Feel free to criticize my attire in the Discord. <laughs> Same black shirt. Or the comments. What do you think about Dude, We should get a swag shop that's literally just, you know, a black shirt and then just, just like, black V-necks. You want to dress up like Joe for Halloween, just a black V-neck. <laughs> Pretty simple costume. Some red hair dye. <laughs> we'll sell wigs too. Yeah. I like I like literally think about what shirt I'm gonna wear in the morning of our show in order to try to mix it up so I don't look the same every time. But you're like, no, no, sir. See, I take the Steve Jobs approach mm. where it's like, I, look, I've got enough decisions to make in my day. What I wear to try to look presentable and, and nice to the world is it's not one of them because I, this works for me. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So, dude, where is Mike Pence? Q graphic. <laughs> uh, he, he actually pulled out of the race and uh, nobody cared. <laughs> it really was like Mike Pence was just like such a non-factor in this entire sequence though anyways so it's not gonna no he's not gonna be missed and other people are filling his shoes anyways for like the neocon vibe like we got Nikki Haley up there who's kind of taken that mantle anyways so who cares where Mike Pence is it is interesting that Nikki Haley was able to better corner that market though given that Mike Pence is a more established you know figure uh, in dc i would assume Nikki, I mean, she, I mean, she was a governor before she, but was, she was UN also ambassador. un ambassador and she had a lot of street cred among republicans for a while like there was a point in time where the average conservative really liked nikki haley like before the trump era the average conservative like she was like a person that people would be like i'd vote for her for president right like back in like 2014 2015 era so i i, I think some people still have that memory of her and they like her for that right yeah um and it was overall a smaller field they also removed a couple of the other you know folks yeah Burgum and hutchinson right yeah who's the guy from arkansas hutchinson no that was asa or uh, asa no, hutchinson asa. oh yeah. yeah right right right, right. so and for those then, yeah Burgum. for those folks that, that didn't get to watch the debate um were, were these folks that weren't a part of it were, have they also dropped out or they they, they just didn't make a cut they didn't make the cut they didn't make okay the cut. yeah but it was a small field, and therefore, it was a much better debate in a lot of ways. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, overall, like, the impression that I had was less interrupting, was nice. But not being able to get into the back and forth was also a bit of a trade-off of less interrupting. And it would have been nice if there was only one time when the moderators clearly to me were saying, oh, that was enough that you get to respond. And it was Vivek saying something about Nikki Haley, which was 
the other major part of it. It was like that was the dynamic. It was this time it wasn't Vivek versus everybody. It was Vivek versus Nikki with everyone else kind of having side conversations. And DeSantis and Haley kind of went at it too. They were critiquing mm-hmm. each other's runs or their time as governor. Too. And how much they hate China. Like, yeah. I hate China more than you hate China. Yeah. It's like, oh, I hate China the most. I'm going to build like, more boats. <laughs> yeah, that's that, right? <laughs> Who's going to build the boats? Um, <laughs> but oh, uh, yeah, I guess. So what were our high points of this thing right now? Do we <laughs> have opinions on well, this? Well, apparently we're going to build a million boats and that's, that's going to defeat China somehow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the strategy. Build all the boats. Build the boats. David Goggins out there going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who's going to carry who's, all those boats? Who's going to carry the boats? Build them. <laughs> we need an army that's man enough to carry the boats. <laughs> yeah, these are not the kind of boats you want to carry. So uh, the um, the high points, we should talk about that. Let's, let's return to that. But the, the high points for me, uh, Vivek uh, obviously hit the kind of Trump vibe and like definitely carried the narrative uh, throughout it by just being the person who was most willing to call other people out to differentiate himself and to make memeable moments. Like, he's a meme machine, if you will. Is this the right off the bat one? Yes. This is his interest. So right off the bat, you know, he goes through as the first question they ask everybody is, what's the, how are you different than Trump? Why should people vote for you? Not the person who was there, who's the Republican front runner, which is an important part of this dynamic. I want you to know. Why should people vote for you rather than Trump? And this is how I respond. And the internet loved this response too. You, uh, please make your case. Why would you, Uh, Why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about bringing more people into our party. Do you think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Walker here, do you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Sorry. This is how the We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Let me turn to Governor Governor Christie. Why? I mean, scorching. Just laid waste to everyone. He hit everybody. I mean, he hit the GOP chairwoman. He hit the media. He he did everything that he, he hit all the people he needed to hit. Um, One thing he didn't do was explain why he should be the nominee, not Trump. But. He didn't say it. He demonstrated. Yeah, mm. that's the. I think that's the tactic. I think people are missing is that a debate is as much performance art as it is a debate, right? In fact, modern debates, especially when you have a ton of candidates on the up there, um, with an obvious lean in your coverage, is to stand out. Totally. Like if, if no one knows who you are and no one talks about you, then 
you know, the currency is attention. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's it's more so performance art than anything. Like policy doesn't really matter that much at the debates. People are looking for the the persona that is presented, right? Right. And well, it's about generating sound bites. And obviously, I mean, Vivek hit. He checked off like half a dozen different memeable moments, like you mentioned, with calling out. You know, this debate should be hosted by Tucker Carlson or Elon or or Joe Rogan or something like that. Like, and he's the center of all the highlights that are being passed around on the internet. Like, he was the viral person uh, this night. Um, Additionally, that works great with the algorithm, right? You cut a clip where you're saying those names. That clip is going to do way better than someone saying, "You know what? We need a, a sensible policy on reforming Social Security. We need you know, to like, cut <laughs> taxes by one percent. Totally, you know? <laughs> totally <laughs> reasonable like, things. Like these are good policies, uh, but the." Um, one is a memeable moment that will work on the internet. The other one won't. Yeah. Well, in, there's a there's a lot jam packed into into that opening right there. Like there there is a question to be had of one strategy for the Republicans. Like why are you going to NBC? You're obviously not getting good coverage from them. Why not go to some like why not go do a Rumble slash X exclusive? Um, with Elon Musk and Rogan and Tucker Carlson and like like people like that. Why not try to push for something like the, that? Like you're going to have way bigger audience, the, right? The reason why is because that would work great for Vivek, who has a tremendous internet following of young people, mm-hmm. while everyone else bases their support around, sorry, but boomers who watch cable television still and don't watch as much TV also, or uh, internet TV. Right, and I think that my big question is if, and we'll get to who, you know, who we felt like won the debate here in, in a minute but if Vivek is dominating the airtime with the clips and the and the you know all the recaps from this debate is that being reflected in his polling data since this debate i mean he's he's in third right of the of this field not including trump he's in third behind desantis and haley as the latest number that i saw sitting around five and a half or six percent somewhere in there um why why isn't that translating to the polling data are they polling more boomers than young people? I, well, I mean, there is a selection bias uh, for polling data that you have to adjust through with your algorithm, right? So your confidence is you, okay. okay, so the social science is this. You take a random sample of a population and then you adjust that random sample for their demographics to represent those people in general. Assuming those demographic sampling holds on the scale that you're talking about, it gets very difficult to do a nationwide poll at that point because you have to pull a lot of people to get a demographically representative sample. Sure. Uh, additionally to that, um, it's around a thousand is the is the is the place for any state. Uh, uh, but once you're getting into more refined populations, it becomes much more difficult to distinguish, especially when there's barriers to reaching that particular population. Right. If you have a landline, very easy to call you. Mm-hmm. Right. You have a cell phone, much harder. Well, I mean, I get I get. Uh, polling requests via text now and mm-hmm. i mean obviously i don't have a landline but they they'll call my cell phone right but um, they have to they have to leave you alone on cell phone but they don't have to on landline neither to the same degree right and additionally that you have blocking software that is built into the phone uh, for suspected spam and stuff like that that just don't exist for landline so so your your um suspicion here is maybe that uh vivek is polling better than his numbers might suggest because there are barriers to actually understanding how younger people feel about a candidate right now i don't know I, i'm not sure i, I really don't know I, I i i haven't looked at the numbers enough and what the competitive polling looks like so far i mean are young people even watching a debate on nbc <laughs> that's i a mean good question. The, the internet's definitely watching the highlights right yeah like right. vivek definitely is getting a lot of the attention from young people via highlights via twitter via tiktok via you know things like that um 
I would also suspect that, and I'd be curious to see like the back end on their data at the campaign. I, I would suspect a lot of his support is low propensity voters. So people that don't vote vote very often, a lot of like very disenfranchised people or people just like, frankly, have not voted or barely vote. I imagine that there's quite a bit of support coming from that. But then there's also the aspect of, you know, if, if Trump wasn't in the race, Vivek would be the front runner, right? Like, most of the Trump people would be spilling over to Vivek and Vivek would be. So there is a shared audience that exists there between Vivek and Trump, obviously, because they're both kind of like the America first candidates, right? I think that's true philosophically, but I don't think that the, that he has the name recognition of the base of Trump who are like people who found out about Trump based upon watching apprentice and then followed him into the presidential and now support him. Does that make sense? Like, uh, Trump walked into his candidacy with way, way higher name idea. Oh, he yeah. was in rap songs, right? I mean, like, there's a completely different sort of situation. If you had a clean transition, if Trump endorsed Vivek and then said, I can't run this year, so you're going to run in the America first, then there would be like an anointing and a lot of translation from that. But I don't, I, obviously, that one that's all hypothetical. It would, it would depend on something like that happening in order for him to kind of get the spread he needs. I kind of see it from a strategist point of view that he has a very narrow, passionate subsection and he has to branch outside that by exciting people who are otherwise, you know, kind of tangential to that. That's why his dynamic with Haley is so important because he contrasts himself to the neocons. Yeah. Well, in Vivek, yeah, he was a completely unknown figure. Like very niche people knew who he was prior to his run. So like he's only really been in the spotlight for six, seven months now. Mm. Um so he has a lot of room for growth here because people, frankly, just don't know who he is. And then you have a lot of uh, propaganda going out from the campaigns and stuff, right? Like you have kind of, you know, like a lot of a lot of these people that like the boomer conservatives typically listen to people like Mark Levin and stuff are very anti Vivek. They hate Vivek. Right. So you end up having a little, little bit of that sentiment. I was I was literally in <laughs> this is a bit of an aside, but I was in Puerto Rico a few weeks ago and um, I was talking I, a conversation came up about presidential politics with a with an Indian guy and he was asking me what I thought of Vivek Ramaswamy and I had some random American coming by which is like did I just hear Vivek Ramaswamy and I was like yeah yeah we're, we're talking politics and um, she was like she's like well have you ever heard of Mark Levin <laughs> I was like yes I've heard of Mark Levin Mark Levin says that you shouldn't trust Vivek Ramaswamy right so like there is that that exists in the ether I was in Puerto Rico when this happened or wow. uh, sorry not Puerto Rico what am I saying Portugal Portugal. Yeah, I was like, when did you go to Puerto Rico? Yeah, sorry. Like, Damn, you jet I, set. I, I, sorry, I, I was just talking with a bunch of Puerto Ricos and I Freudian slipped, <laughs> Puerto Ricans and I Freudian slipped that. Oh, no worries. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious because uh, speaking of that sort of mainstream contingent that doesn't like Vivek, he certainly wasn't making any fans by calling out the chairwoman of the RNC. Mm-hmm. What's the fallout from that? Well, so we have um, from Timcast, they, they reported some kind of he said, she said stuff from the debate because she was at the debate, obviously. Um, Rhonda McDaniel, who uh, is the chairwoman, is who he was calling out there. A lot of people probably don't know who, who she is, but she um, reportedly she was saying kind of in the audience, he's an asshole, total asshole. He's desperate because he's doing because he's doing bad in the polls. He won't be getting a cent from us. Um and then she loudly booed him during his exchange with Nikki Haley. Yeah. Oh, according to someone who's sitting nearby. Yeah. A lot of this is just like someone said this. Did she make any statements after after this? Um, she did. I did see a clip of her on like Fox or something like that where she was criticizing him. 
Um, and she was like, well, he voted for Obama, which he didn't, like, at least that's what he claims. He never voted for Obama. Sure. Right. And she was like, well, he's new to the party. So she, he doesn't, he doesn't understand how we do things here. Kind of like that kind of thing. Right. He doesn't understand our, our track record of excellent losing. And it is, it is worth mentioning. Ronna McDaniel's maiden name is Romney. She is, Mi- she is Mitt Romney's niece. <laughs> it just worth, okay. like worth noting how incestuous politics is. Right. Data point. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, so for people that don't understand maybe the inner workings of RNC stuff, like are they, they're not required to give, to, to give Vivek anything as a candidate, are they? Or There's are they? a political they? price for not, if he was the general election candidate, right? Oh, so if he were to win the primary, they would more or less have to. What? Not, I mean, statutorily, no. It's not like it's breaking the law, but. Um, but they'd be, be electing be to not, not support their nominee. Yeah, which for sure. Yeah. Something. I mean, but it's like, it's a typical kind of threat right is if you have a non-establishment candidate your your job is to come across non-establishment enough that you can still get rnc support because turning down millions of dollars is a difficult thing to do as a candidate if you're you know especially going up against the obama clinton machine yeah what Uh, were what were some of the other moments you guys caught that were important to well, you. we referenced one and it and it's really the the contrast between vivek and haley as the as a major dynamic and that was the uh there are two people on the stage video in the last debate she made fun of me for actually joining tiktok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time so you might want to take care of your family first leave my daughter, daughter the next generation of americans are using it and that's actually the point. You have her supporters mm. propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. We got to go further. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which Ross, case, we've got two of them on stage. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'd first like to say Still they're five-inch heels. And I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um, what? Two of you on the second thing so. that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. Okay, wait. There's a lot there. She can run in five-inch heels? Uh, apparently, that's a point of pride. I mean, I'm impressed. Could you do that, Kyle? No. no <laughs> and I've never attempted to. Well, <laughs> perhaps we should have a race. Not bad. It's not good for your feet. Don't wear those. Don't wear those. It's not a good idea. Something I do love about that whole exchange right there was I feel like when it actually happened, um, the, everybody's just like, I don't know what that means, but whatever. And they just kind of like brush it off. But then her team tweeted it out from her official account, that exact quote, like the- The ammunition. Yeah, one. the ammunition thing. It was like, yeah, tweeted that out. And then the entire internet was kind of forced to like, well, now we got to decipher what this means. <laughs> right? <laughs> I hope I hope there's a, some reporter has the courage to ask the question to her at some point. Like, what what does that mean? And yeah, see what see how that goes. Because I'm very curious. It, I uh, I don't understand it. I don't know what she's talking about. But the the TikTok question I think is interesting, right? I mean, this came out after the the last one where everyone was beaten up on Vivek for going onto TikTok to try to appeal to younger voters, and they were all saying, "Did you know that TikTok?" was run by the Chinese. And if you watch the last episode, we talked about it, like the Chinese um, economic system is not that of the USSR. Yes, they're a communist in name, but what they are is state capitalism, meaning you can start a new company, 
There's relative amounts of economic freedom and ability to create products and sell to people anywhere in the world that you that you can get access and markets to. But when you get big enough, the government comes in and they take over your company and they direct the direction of your company. This is actually the argument that progressives made for eliminating dog-eat-dog capitalism in the progressive era. Like when you're articulating this, you're articulating the same philosophy as FDR. When FDR said... We can't have all these owners of business going every which way. In order to solve the depression, I need to cartelize everyone into heading the same direction. I'm using the unfavorable world cartel. What they said was ending dog-eat-dog capitalism and, you know, any which way capitalism, stuff like that. So uh, it's important to understand, like, they are beating up on TikTok because they've associated it with the Chinese Communist Party. It probably is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. But seeing it only as that really misses the point especially when the fact that so many young people are on it. And so they're beating him up on it as a, as a, as a cheap shot. Well, he cheap shot back, right? Which is your own daughter is on it. Maybe you should, very Jordan Peterson-like, clean up your own house before you tell everybody else how to live their life. It didn't seem like that was very well received by the audience. Were well, they, were they well, booing him? Who's the audience? Yeah, the audience <laughs> like is, right? Like they have supporters of each candidate, right? So those are going to be Nikki Haley people and they're going to be very loud when, you know, they're going to be booing anybody that attacks her and cheering whenever. And the same thing goes, like Vivek has people in the crowd, DeSantis has people in the crowd, right? So you can't really judge the debate based off of audience reception. Right, and it's also who's closest to the stage, right? Mm. And so they would organize who's closest to the stage based upon... Who would CNBC want to be the loudest of mics? Important to note for people who might not be aware of how the debates are set up in that way. But because it does come across like, oh, like people aren't very happy that Vivek, you know, said that. But you called it a cheap shot. I mean, do you think that's fair of him to kind of draw that? I think that's comparison? what she was trying to say. It was like, you can't criticize, keep my daughter's name. Anymore. That sort of mm-hmm. thing that, that that's like going beyond the pale. But she's an adult woman. Like she's not like a kid. And additionally that if you are going to... Say, for example, uh, if you're going to do something that prohibits other people's freedom, but you exercise that freedom yourself or you allow your family to, you know, that's the question, right? And that's, and that's an important question of integrity that I think is, is fair game in politics. Fair criticism. But, say, but, but saying, hey, you are encouraging people, young people, to use TikTok by being on there to encourage them who are already on there to be on there to convince them to vote Republican. They use that against Vivek. So that's this, uh, that opens the door. If they had not attacked that, then I think it'd be a much clearer cheap shot. Something I've noticed that's interesting from an attack vector that um, that's been very interesting to watch Vivek use on Nikki Haley is, and this is kind of goes into just like attacking neocons in general, but using her as the face of it is um, she's making a he's making a lot of comparisons with Joe Biden on her, um, like and and also kind of Hunter and everything that was going on with like money handling and Ukraine and all this stuff. Not saying Nikki Haley's daughter is Hunter Biden, but like <laughs> um, he is making a lot of those like you know she is benefiting from the system and and siphoning off the top uh, based off of her private contract work after she left the UN. And uh, this next clip here is Vivek slamming kind of the general neocon establishment on foreign policy and just showing how how corrupt it is. And sorry, there's so much Vivek, but he was kind of the center of attention. Like he really, really captured the minds of the internet. I promise you, we are not giving you a false impression of the debates because everything between these sections with debate are boring, like talking points canard. Like they're just not at all interesting or entertaining or moving away from what anyone would expect from a president. That's why we're covering these sections. So then, you know, like we haven't, 
really talked about DeSantis at all. I mean, I think you mentioned he made some good points, but he didn't make any waves. So how is he still polling ahead? Well, that's, uh, you know, that's a great question. I mean, we, we, we do have some DeSantis stuff that we should get to, but mm-hmm. let's, let's finish debate and, uh, Vivek, and then we'll return to that. Sure. Yeah. Vivek's case is that there is a common thread where politicians enrich themselves by advocating for war, by creating close relationships with military industrial complex providers. The military industrial complex is something that, you know, we've talked a lot about in the show, but to quick review, it is the private companies that make the weapons of war. Um, Since Smedley Butler, there's been an accusation that one of the problems with war is there's a perverse incentive for the makers of weapons to advocate for war using our politicians. Uh, And, you know, we've definitely seen that. He directs that very specifically in the case of Nikki Haley when it comes to after her time at the UN. She did not have that much income. Uh, And then soon afterwards, she got on the board of Boeing, which is, you know, makes aircraft and, you know, drones and stuff like that. Uh, And has done a lot of speaking uh, engagements with undisclosed amounts of money being given for those engagements and things like that. So his challenge is for folks, you know, both DeSantis, Haley, everybody to release the same kind of tax records that he has uh, and trying to, you know, put the pressure on his opponents to, you know, come clean about, you know, that connection between why they want to invade five other countries and, you know, perhaps their perverse incentive with the uh, contractors who make the weapons. And you mentioned uh, they wanted to invade five other countries. What are those five countries? (laughs) Those five countries are Iran, China, Syria, Russia, and Mexico. And Mexico. And Mexico. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've got to airstrike Mexico uh, to stop the cartels. Cartels. That's the literal position from Ron DeSantis. Was that one of the good points he made? Oh, God. Good <laughs> points. I would say that would be a low point. If anything, just because uh, the proper way to phrase that would be to receive permission from the Congress to declare war on Mexico. 
That sounds if ridiculous. If you're an actual concert, you know. We, yeah, well, we don't do that anymore, Dave. No. Well, hey, we hey okay, let me, let me steal man that point of view. More people have died from fentanyl overdoses than 9-11 this month. Wow. Well, and there is... But the, the argument that's all coming over the border is also probably a false argument. That said, there are major problems at the border, right? I mean, we do have the federal government literally clipping barbed wire that Texas put up on the border until recently a judge stopped that. Uh, but if you go to Discord, you can find a great video I found about that situation. Um, and I know it's not the subject of our discussion today, but you know the, the drug war as a phenomena you know, it has been led both by the prohibition and by illegal immigration. It's both, right? Well, there is there is quite a bit of evidence that's coming forward now of Chinese funding of fentanyl production in Mexico and likely actual Chinese scientists on the ground in labs doing this as well. Right. So like that stuff is, it does seem to be happening. Um, you know, now this this brings up a broader point though of like, do we start drone drone striking, you know, Mexican areas about this? You know, like is that that's the right the, tactic. Yeah, is, is that the right question. tactic to deal with this? Does that cause more resentment? What about civilian casualties? Does it end up just becoming like a Middle East situation in the long run if you start doing that? Blah blah blah, all that stuff, right? So, so Vivek, it kind of stands alone, it seems, in this field of sort of being more of the more of the anti-war candidate than the rest of the sort of neocon establishment candidates that are up there he's the most anti-war candidate out of, like across both major parties entirely like, does that include rfk yeah oh yeah yeah interesting What's R- our- rfk is good on ukraine he's very bad on israel hamas mm. yeah he's in, and in when you opinion. say that he's he's pro-war yeah that, he's pro giving sense. israel everything they need getting u.s involvement in that like he's it's that seems to be his position where where vivek is much more israel has a right to defend themselves but we shouldn't be just going in giving troops giving supplies and doing all this like you know all the stuff that we typically do in all of these conflicts right he's very much like let's let's pull back and just focus on america it's a funny thing because in a nuanced conversation if you watch our stuff uh, we've been accused on the comments many times of being palestine supporters but at the end of the day, I honestly kind of sympathize most with Vivek's point of view here in that, you know, whatever it is, it's not America's business. You know, we've given them almost $300 billion in subsidized funds to exist as a country. And Nikki Haley's best case that she can throw together for her point of view on this is we don't need, or Israel doesn't need us. We need Israel. As if that made any sense at all, because who's given who hundreds of billions of dollars, right? It's pretty clear that they need us, and I'm not sure why we need them. I mean, they make excellent guns. The bullpup guns that they make is fantastic. I love having their imports, but I don't think that means we need to subsidize them forever. Uh, Not to mention, we pay a tremendous cost for our subsidization of Israel, because every time there's something happens in the Middle East that where we subsidize that regime, America takes part of the blame. We took the part of the blame for the Mubarak regime in Egypt and the terrible things Mubarak did for decades. We took the blame for, we're taking the blame right now. Every time uh, the Saudi Arabia drops a bomb in Yemen, there's a ceasefire right now, but when they were um, over, I thought, man, what was the figures? What's the figures right now in Yemen? 300,000, right? People. Oh, no, no. I, I believe it's over a million now. Oh, I mean, sorry. I just, um, I meant just the starvation deaths from the blockade. Yeah, but yes, no, yeah, the, the that, war that's in Yemen. like closing in on a million, I believe. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure about that. But Yemen, every time that happens, internal to Yemen, they're saying America's backed Saudi bombing campaign, right? It's important to note that the motivation 
for the hijackers on 9-11 was America's backing of Israel and their treatment of the Palestinians. Doesn't mean that, you know, we deserved it. Doesn't mean that we, you know, sympathize with their point of view. We actually object to their point of view, thinks it's wrong. It's, it's collectivist. It's false. It's punishment for uh, things that obviously uh, the people in the t- towers into. But it's no doubt that, you know, this has a blowback consequence. So uh, he is, I think, cutting against the grain to the degree in which what he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm simultaneously going to say I'm not going to support you, right, financially, because it does have a cost to us and it's not our fight. But I'm also not going to tell you what to do, which is, you know, that's, that's, a, that's at least a coherent position on it. Yeah. Well, do any of the other candidates who are pushing for these you know, wars with these five different countries get any pushback on the fiscal realities of, of waging war in five oh, different God. countries. Yeah. It kills me about that. So one of the things that drove me nuts was, and this is one of those things that if we showed you this, we'd show you the entire debate, right? That's the problem Yeah, is the rush of candidates to say, we need to give money. We need to give weapons and arms to Ukraine and to Taiwan and to Israel and, and all the, all these places. So we can start a war with Iran and, and like all this, all this stuff when saying like, Hey, we have finite resources, we're actually, one of the big problems is several of them cited it in the debate, like uh, specifically Scott did, that we have degraded our industrial base. It's like, why did that happen, Scott? Oh, geez, maybe because we gave hundreds of billions of dollars to freaking uh, Ukraine and it completely emptied out all the weaponry caches that we had. You know, and like they actually sold that as a feature of the war in Ukraine. Because he said, we'll get to upgrade everything now. Sweet. <laughs> Guess get who to gets to pay for the money. upgrade? Sick. You do. All right. So it's, it's, um, it, it, it's the grand strategy versus strategy question, right? Your grand strategy is your overall positioning in the world. And the problem with the neoconservatives, is, 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 as articulated by Biden, was, well, we're America. We can just print all the dollars we need forever. And there's no consequence to that. Never mind that the richest country, counties in America right now are the, are the cl- counties closest to Washington, D.C. Why? Military contractors. Because that's where all the money is printed and then given to the first people. Inflation hurts the second person and the third order person for, uh, worse. The first person gets the benefit. If the government is flying over your house dropping pallets of cash, who benefits from that cash? The house it gets dropped on. All the houses that get dropped on are Wall Street and the countries near yeah, or the, the counties near uh, uh, Northern Virginia. That's why they're the richest ones in the country. So if you're making new dollars, it's the first person who gets the benefit. Now, what, the, the trade-offs there are we need to both equip Taiwan, Ukraine, and Israel all at the same time as if there weren't not even just finite dollars, but finite bullets and finite rocket launchers and missiles and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, another component of the debate that everyone missed out on was how many boats are you going to build? Yeah. 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 Right. They, yeah. Yeah. Like there, there was a, it was raised like, uh, I think Nikki Haley was the one that kind of sparked the conversation. It's like, we don't have enough boats anymore. And China then, has more boats. Yeah, than China us. has more boats, even though false. Yeah. They're, they're not as good as our boats. Right? Yeah. Well, is it a we quantity? Have the best boats. It's best tonnage. Boats. It's by tonnage. It's by how heavy the boats are, right? And like, the, how do you measure military power, right? There are lots of measurements, right? The amount of missiles you have, right? The fact that you're a nuclear state. One of the things that they don't mention on when they're talking about the problems of arming Taiwan is, hey guys, China's got nukes in intercontinental ballistic missiles. They are way more threatening than the USSR was during the Cold War on that front. They have less missiles, but they have the technology and the industrial base. To make more. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and the popul- much larger population. 
right? So the um, the production capabilities larger and the and the threats a lot. And the, and the other part of that is if you just go by tonnage or you go by the amount of boats, if you have a very small boat that can't go further than a couple miles off the shoreline, is that a an ability to project force? Well, that's most of China's um, force capability is limited within a, a couple hundred miles of the shoreline of China. Now, that's a problem for Taiwan because they're about 90 miles off the coast of China. But that also might tell you that there's something wrong with our relationship with the world if we're telling them what to do with ex- islands 90 miles off of their coast. An island that exists as a country and with our current conditions, because the island, the, the history there is that the island was where the old government of China fled during the Maoist revolution. Yeah, uh, seems like sort of uh, Middle East 2.0 if we were to get involved there, right? Like just another conflict with another nation. Way worse. We just don't, we don't have interest in that. I mean, you can argue oh. maybe that we do, but. Yeah, from the ethics, you're right, right? It's like like we're getting our, putting our heads in where it doesn't belong sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's the consequences are way worse. Right? Oh, yeah. So the Middle East is a slow boil for a very long period of time when 9-11 happens, right? And we will pay almost no costs beyond the fiscal cost. And then we pay a huge bulk cost. In the war games uh, done by Rand Corporation and others, every report I found, and I can't really find a countervailing narrative here. It doesn't seem like anyone's really objecting to this. If China invades Taiwan, it means thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of sailors die. Uh, they wipe out much of our Pacific fleet. And that's as, as the worst case scenario. But there's somewhere between... Many thousands and we win and they wipe out. And in very few cases do we actually win. Well, right. I was going to say winning means Taiwan is almost completely wiped out in the process because this, this is a war that will be fought with missiles versus boats and small boats versus big boats in shallow water, right? Which means we have a, all the disadvantages uh, are, are, in our, are for us. So that's why the CHIPS Act, you know, we're building chips in Arizona now. It's a good thing. That's why, um, you know, reshoring a lot of that stuff and divesting from Taiwan makes a lot of sense for American businessmen. And it's like, look, America, it doesn't exist to centrally plan the security of the planet. So we have to make a decision, some kind of trade-off decision about that at some point, uh, about where we're going to apply our money and resources and treasure. Uh, Another example of Vivek seeming to be the only reasonable candidate up there was there was a funny sequence about the boats where it started with Nikki Haley saying like, I'm going to build this many boats. And then it goes to Ron DeSantis is like, well, actually, I'm going to build this many boats. And then Lester Holt, the, you know, the moderator. He, he asks Vivek, what's your number? Yeah. How many <laughs> and, boats are you going to build? And Vivek pivots the question to talking about zero-based budgeting with the military. And zero, because right now all of our, our, all of our budgeting is just like we, we base everything off of last year's projection. Plus where inflation. It, plus inflation. And then zero-based budgeting would be like, no, we start from zero. And what the hell do we actually need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is just a much more sensible way of approaching this, right? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a business-based approach, not just a, well, we have endless piles of cash. What are we going to do it's, with it's, it today? It's something that like a CEO of a company would think about. Yeah. Right? Right. The <laughs> trick is, is it's very difficult to do. Zero-based budgeting in government is something that many governments, state governments especially, claim to do, but it's very difficult. Why? Because there's no consumer. There's no price mechanism. You're not selling anything. You can't measure profit. You can't say which are the departments that are making the most money. Because it's not how any departments work. You can't go to the police and say, how much money did you make? Right? 
how many tickets did you get? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not how it, their, their revenue stream would be. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. they, well, they, there is, then it becomes a perverse incentive of like, well, we got to amp up the, our, our speeding tickets that we're yeah. grabbing and all that stuff. Or you right? go to the department of health and human services, you say, how many kids did you take from their homes? You know, yeah. like, like, like that, that's, you know, like how do you measure the value provided when the way that we fund government is violence, it's coercion. It's if you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. So the, 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 the there's, it's, it's more difficult. It's a great talking point. And I'm like, awesome. I, I love anyone who has the courage to say we need to zero base budget. The military as a Republican is not, I mean, like that's commendable. No joke because getting any conversation about how much money we spend on our military, um, you know, it has to be paired with a conversation about grand strategic goals. With Vivek's grand strategic plan, it means you don't have to spend as much, which is a good thing yeah. because we spend more than the 20 next countries combined, including China. Um, I think with all this being said, I think so. I, I think we're pretty clear that Vivek seemed to be the popular Internet candidate. The Internet really seemed to love him after this debate. But we also have people like uh, the New York Times who very much believes that he was the villain of the debates and that he was definitely the clear loser, right? So we have um, every single debate, Nikki Haley ranked number one, according to the New York Times. <laughs> um, DeSantis is actually doing pretty well. He, he ranked number two. Christy ranked number third on this debate. Tim Scott ranked number four. And uh, Vivek down at the bottom at number five. But... Uh, um, you have people over at the New York Times saying, Viva Le Villain from Daniel McCarthy. Um, he's the clear villain here. I don't, who's Daniel McCarthy? Why do I care what he thinks? This is why I have a bot that auto blocks every from, everyone from the New York Times. Okay, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, David French is saying that Ramaswamy is a right wing Twitter thread come to life. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's David French? I know that name. Um, oh God, he's a he's he, a Bush administration. Yeah, guy, if I remember yeah, right. Is that, I, I is believe he's a Bush. I believe he's a Bush. I got neocon. his Wikipedia up. Let's confirm it so we don't do fake news. I'm seeing American attorney and conservative journalist, political commentator. Um, you have Newsweek saying he's a staff that, writer with National Review. Oh, oh that makes on. sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, National Review, the clear conservative. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy is tearing re- Republicans apart from Newsweek. Uh, the, the corporate press definitely seems to think that Vivek is uh, a villain that needs to be put down right now. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. Well, this could be an interesting pivot to craft our own ranking. Shall we, uh, shall we rank the candidates? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so I devised up a tier list, and by devised, I found one on the internet, I mean. Um, <laughs> Got some faces we don't really... There's some faces that don't really matter on here. Ignore this. But we were talking about 
okay, after seeing three debates, how are we feeling about the current Republican field? How do we feel where they stand in our own our own opinions? And we'll kind of craft one together. Yeah. Can you sm- zoom in a smidge? Would that be okay? Yeah. Well, I think we can probably start by just putting Mike Pence at F tier, just kind of set yeah. the stage. You're out, Mike. Thanks for playing. Later, bro. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, one of the one of the things. So, so talking about why he couldn't succeed right that's really the question like how couldn't why couldn't he be the one that everyone that was hoping that he would be who are his supporters ultimately he just he had he was better taken up by the same space as DeSantis DeSantis was also a governor he had a better more recent more favorable record and then like a lot of people were like you're the president's vice president it puts him in an awkward position to be able to either box out Trump or take his people or or any of that. It's just a very awkward position. I think his run was much more of like a public apology tour about January 6th, mm. more so than anything. Interesting. It's much more of like uh, him separating himself from Trump and being a clear distinction. I don't think he ever thought he was going to win. I, th- I think it was much more just like setting the record on where he stood on everything and all mm. that stuff. Um, That's a great point. So since uh, he didn't make the cut, I'm seeing him on there. We got, we've got Burgum down there at the end, right? Bergam probably is going to saddle up next to uh, next to Pence on F tier. Well, to, to be honest, I actually kind of liked Bergam from what I heard. He was very not a presidential like person. Right. We kind of we, we displayed him as like good governor, probably not maybe the right thing for president. Not yeah, a visionary. He, exactly. Person. He's like a guy that I wouldn't mind having as my governor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, um, he, and he didn't have like the charisma of the candidate that you really need for the job. So I, do we do we want to put him in F tier? No. I mean, I, he's I, at least yeah. D tier. I think, I, think, I think we can safely give him a C. I, think I would give him a C. Ideologically, he, he actually had his head in the right place. I would uh, give him a C. Like if not even just policy wise, like everything he was saying, I was like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It's just like the messenger itself was kind of eh. Yeah, right. I agree with that. All right. Speaking of which, let's do Hutchinson next. Uh, right next oh, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I, I have a clear opinion that he's an F tier. <laughs> we, we also got to be clear for our audio listeners that we, we got to make sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, make sure to say things here. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, so Hutchinson, why is he F tier, Kyle? Every time he opened his mouth, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just, oh, it just, was rough. He wasn't inspiring, and then he didn't even have very conservative policy positions. Like, no, not like, even like, I, like I felt like he was like a moderate Democrat. Yeah. Like, that's what it felt like. He didn't come across great at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually my very first time ever even listening to him was on that uh, that remember that time when Tucker Carlson was like at that blaze conference and he was just like one by one just dismantling every <laughs> candidate in real time. Yep. And that was the first time I ever saw him. And I was just like, "Ooh, this guy is rough. Like he was talking about things where I'm like, you're running for the Republican presidential like election. What are you like? Some of the stuff he was saying, I was just like that's there's no voice in here for that like there's no it was it was bad it was very strange i mean if i'm honest i could not have even picked him out of this lineup yeah Yeah. i was actually kind of happy that i did i was kind of surprised (laughs) so uh speaking of who got crushed by tucker um what's our what's our our guy um man i just i had it in my head and i just spaced his name tim Uh, scott tim scott yeah yeah he didn't have a good showing there uh but i do think that as far as for this debate he did a better job about articulating his point of view, especially I like the part where he got challenged on inflation and about how why an increased supply of oil would change the incentives. And he didn't, uh, I think, a very good job defending his position there. Um, and he's definitely got some more momentum, I think, as a candidate due to that. Um, it's just like his first few debate performances were much more milk toast. Well, and he also had that whole line about, you know, our mission in Ukraine is to weaken Russia's military. And then At couldn't least really back honest. it up. It, it, but at yeah, least but, he but was why? honest. But why though? You know, we <laughs> there need to, is no, 
the reason why is because we got weak in Afghanistan and we just need to make other people weak so we can feel better. And also a lot of people make money. I oh. don't see it beyond that. I yeah, just but can't. But if he I'm had said that, I would be willing to rank him higher for honesty, <laughs> but he didn't. I, yeah, I, I do think he got that talking point from a general and he was like, yeah, that's what, it, and then he just goes with that. And yeah. I think, honestly, I think that's what a lot of congressmen do. That's probably true. Uh, where, where are we thinking? Because my mind is D tier. Like, as a presidential candidate, I think he's very milk toast and bland. His time actually as a senator is like, like he's 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 okay on domestic policy and things like that. Where like he's he's kind of good on that stuff. So I wouldn't put him at an F. I, like my mind is putting him at D. Okay, sure. D tier. Sure. He did. He did come out that he has a girlfriend, and that that was the major news story. That was a big news story. Wow, good he, for he, you, he buddy. That one. <laughs> really quick, while while we're on it, can so, we just go ahead and put John Bolton on F tier too, just yeah, to make just, me feel better? Uh, I, I don't know why he's on this list, but <laughs> he, he is on this list for he's some there. reason, dude. Nikki Haley with a mustache is F tier. <laughs> We've gone from Dick Cheney in heels <laughs> to Nikki Haley with a mustache. How how many more comparisons can All we right, draw? Where are we putting Nikki? Where's she at? Oh man, that's not a very good picture of her too. Like, that's like, is that really her? That's not bad. Um, I mean, See, from, from, I can say nice things about Nikki Haley. Yeah, that's a you nice did picture. It. You did it. You, you Too lay bad off she's it. She's a ghoul. You lay off it. <laughs> she's just terrible. Um, for me personally, she's F tier. Like she, she is. She has taken the like spiritual manifestation of the neocons, <laughs> and like, and she is just running with that as her persona. In the Jungian sense, she has fully aligned she, her chakras with the she, the being of the neocon. She is John Bolton in heels, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or or Nikki Ta- or, or Dick Cheney. So, sorry, yeah. Yeah, she is mustacheless John Bolton in heels like That's it. Okay, what I will praise about her. Okay, so her foreign policy is terrible, and I disagree completely with it. And it is the most important role for president. That's that's one part of this. When you're thinking about how to rank order your presidency or vote for president, if foreign policy isn't your first position, you've missed the game, right? Because we literally, because of the uh, War Powers Act and other things, we've made the president a king on foreign policy. And it's very difficult for anyone to do any foreign policy at this point with the way we've organized um, the laws. So um, that's why I would put her D or F. Now, the reason I'm going to make the case for D is she is doing a good job as a candidate of articulating her point of view, differentiated from the rest of the crowd and her ability to articulate the realities of the need for welfare reform. I, I, I will say Nikki Haley is doing, yeah, like what you said as a candidate, she is doing a very good job courting her people, like the people that are kind of in that box. Like I've actually, I've actually considered her debate performances themselves. I thought that they've actually been fairly good. Mm. Um, and she has actually done very well for herself, as, as particularly in the first debate. Mm. I thought like, even though I completely disagreed with everything she was saying, I very much thought that she did good in courting the people that she right. needed to court. Additionally, that, Points for honesty on the pro-life issue. I mean, like she, she's her whole case on pro-life and like the way she's differentiated herself in the crowd is by saying, hey, the reality is we need 60 senators to get this across the line to, to do anything about abortion. And that ain't going to happen. So why would we promise to the voters something we can't deliver on? That is that actually is a non-trivial amount of courage. And I do give her props for that. OK, so I'm going to pose this question to you. If Nikki Haley were to change her stance on foreign policy to something a little less interventionist. A little less neocon. So she makes you her money. That's never happening. <laughs> if, okay. If in some fantasy land she could do that, okay. where would she where would she rank versus where she ranks because of her foreign policy? We clone her. We put her in a new body. Or like she has the same body, same mind, but we import a completely different, you know, last 10 years. Joe gets to choose and instead, her outfit. we replace those last 10 years with Ron Paul videos. Oh, man. Oh, man. I think she's a straight up B tier. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because she's not that good of a candidate either. I don't actually find her... Um, 
even compare her charisma is not yeah like and, and that then that's kind of what we circled on we kind of said that she comes off as you know kind of off-putting you're really treading on thin ice dude <laughs> i'm just saying i just i just don't think she's a very charismatic female candidate i mean i, I, I agree mean, at very least she has to be as scary as hillary clinton and she just doesn't have it <laughs> she doesn't have it well, well, that? Well, like, there is a clear charisma issue just across most of these candidates like that that's actually their biggest problem for most of them is that their charisma is not ju- just not there they're not like capturing attention like like the reason why vivek has all these highlight reels that that we're pulling is because he commands the stage very well in the same way trump commands the stage very well too and that's why he's such like a big deal there's a charisma to it it's both a ranking of uh clarity of vision right like they have like a clear narrative they're telling about the country and about themselves that i think is 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 uh, that we're playing with when we're asking about the question about charisma and then this is just like do you like listening to him and watching him? Mm-hmm. and are they saying things even if you disagree that are interesting yeah barack obama excellent charisma even if i disagree with him sure um hillary clinton terrible charisma yeah <laughs> you know so um, what about a Christie? Wait, to be clear, we we did settle on putting Nikki Haley at the D tier then. Yeah, that's, that's where, where I she dropped ended up. her. D-tier. All right. That's where I dropped her. Yep. Chris Christie. <clears throat> mm. Well, at least he has good opinions on tech issues. I do like that. Yeah. Right? I'll, I'll give him above F on that. And as a governor of New Jersey, he did do some interesting things in a Democrat state uh, on entitlement reform and and things like that welfare benefits speaking of tech issues like i i definitely um i I listened to his interview with the all-in podcast which is you know a bunch of tech billionaires um and i thought he did pretty well in there i was kind of just like huh i didn't expect kind of like i didn't expect coming away with this impression of chris christie like there were elements where i'm just like oh jesus but on the charisma point point, he's he's got he's got much more charisma than some of the other guys on there well and he feels more authentic there is a thing where sorry chris christie's background is him like like th- this is how he became popular was him like just like bullying people um, on his rise to fame when, when he was originally running in politics. Mostly reporters. And, uh, and just like bullying reporters. He used to have that kind of Trumpian factor about him. Um, he is, he's definitely like a swampy creature and he's, he's uh, sometimes I, I question if he's even in the correct party, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there is, yeah, there is terrible that. political philosophy. I can't rank him above that. I actually feel like if the Trump moment never happened, Chris Christie would be doing quite well at this point in time. Cause like the Republican party has shifted so much in the American first stuff where, if the if like we just vanished the Trump moment from existence, I, like and the party was going on the trajectory it was originally going on at the time, um, Chris Christie would probably be like a top tier candidate for the average Republican. Then I'm so glad we're not living in that world. No, yeah, we, we aren't. Like, <laughs> thanks, Trump. Like John Bolton would probably be president right now. <laughs> He'd probably be president. Get out of there, John Bolton. F tier. Uh, All right. Sick mustache though. DeSantis. DeSantis. All right. So at least C tier, if only because I have no idea what his foreign policy is. <laughs> he's done a really good job of obfuscating <laughs> that so far. I mean, he's very wishy. Okay. This is a great part of the debate. Also. They're like, what's your position? Should we send more troops or money to Ukraine? And he goes, I will not send American troops to Ukraine. It's like, no one asked you that question, Ron. Like no one, like no one has that position. No one said that position. Yeah. No he's boots like, on the ground. If, if Zelensky asked for troops, I will say no. And you're like, mm. Great. But what about our weapons and the money? That's the question, and that's not, and that's a good that's a good candidate tactic, right? General advice: If you're running for office, answer the question that you want to be asked, not the question you're asked. Ooh, so, something tip. I will say uh, that I was surprised the internet didn't go crazy with this, or at least I didn't see it. Was um, DeSantis had the exact same kerfuffle from um, debate one? 
in his outro. Like the very last words he said was, and I will not let you down. No way. Did he he did the exact same thing what? again. Oh my God. But yeah. And I, I was surprised that it never, um, that I, I didn't, that the internet didn't like, it was the same words. Even. Man, I got it to was, the, I got to the end and I was like, I'm going to commit seppuku if I have to watch these people <laughs> outro. Yeah. So I just, I just, yeah, no, it. no. DeSantis did his very last words for his wow. outro was, I will not let you down. And then awkward smile to the camera. Like oh, it was yeah. very, it, it was just like, Am I, I will not let you down is not a very inspiring no. term of race too. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like no one's like, oh. Well, and again, you're somewhat Republicans competent. are so used to being let down, right? <laughs> so he's just like, trust me, I won't let you down. Well, and that right? is like he is running on his competence. And additionally that, his competence in Florida was admirable, especially comparing to the policies of, um, you know, the other governors on, on the board here. So I would say he's C tier. I'm going to say for me, for me, I would say he's B if anything, because he has softened his point of view. I mean, he called for, you know, peace with Russia. Now that could be because Republicans have found a war. They like better. Right. Right. It's, it's a lot easier to move money and with less accountability from the electorate to move money to Israel than it is to move money to the most corrupt country in Europe, Ukraine. So, you know, and they're in a better position too because they're not crosswise with Trump on that issue, so they can court Trump, court Trump voters. So him moving in a softer direction on Ukraine is a good thing, but it does demonstrate he has terrible instincts. I would agree with that. Yeah. I think personally, his foreign policy, if that's the most important issue to judge a president by, is wishy-washy, which is suspect. I feel like he's got neocon people around him that want him to do more neocon things. That seems risky. I agree with you that he's a good governor, but maybe not a visionary president. So I would kind of put him around C tier, uh, D tier for the foreign policy thing. But I think with the three inch heels, he probably bumps back up. To C. <laughs> he goes, up no, no, he goes up to B with the three inch heels. I mean, uh, come on, he's rocking heels, okay. bro. For, for, for me, like he's to me, to me, he's somebody like, <laughs> he's reaching if, higher. <laughs> to, to me, he's somebody that if he became president, I'd be like, okay, like, like I, I, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to me. He's not like my ideal candidate or anything. Like yeah. I, I probably wouldn't vote for him. I, I, but if it was I DeSantis voted since Biden right but, now, yeah, and like DeSantis won, you'd be like, yeah, I'd sick. be like, okay, and like, and he's also somebody like I, I dig him as my governor. Like yeah. it's also like, for, and for me, like I, I like him more than than Burnham here. One downside to right. him that I think really definitely keeps him out of A or B tier for me and puts him in C is the fact. Well, other our distribution isn't going to look right. Maybe we're just going to reserve S for for an ideal libertarian or something. But uh, put Ron Paul in S. <laughs> put Ron Paul in there right now, Kyle. Okay, so uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I should have thought of that before. Yeah, we should just. Anyways, um, is the fact that he had no defense, no cogent defense whatsoever for his actions of, um, basically banning a student group for speech. Mm, yeah. Um, his case is that. Students for Palestine uh, is providing material support to Hamas via tweets by tweeting and speech. I'm sorry, but that's not uh, that's not how that works. Material support is money and weapons. Not that's what you're saying is they're providing emotional support to Hamas, which is not the same thing. Additionally, that what do you mean by emotional support for Hamas? Right. If they're saying, hey, I think that Hamas should compromise to the 1967 borders, which is what is currently in Hamas's charter, is that is that support for Hamas? Or does it just say like, hey, you know, uh, does it the same? Does Palestine have a right to resist? Is that emotional support for Hamas? Yeah. 
that that's a that's a mainstream view yeah. of many Americans. It, 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 it is simply whatever you think about it, and I disagree with some of those characterizations. But whatever you think about that, it's a view that an American has. And in America, we don't we we look back at locking up you know the persecution of Germans in World War One as a bad thing. We don't talk about that much, but it's, it existed. Yeah, the persecution of Japanese in World War Two, as those are dark spots in our history. Mm-hmm. So uh, American students who are trying to articulate things, maybe clumsily, maybe terribly, they should not be persecuted by the governor for that. Agreed. And I mean, I think that we don't need to go far into it, but I do think that, you know, you're, we're observing this rather troubling trend that the Israel-Palestine conflict has really damaged Republicans' adherence to these ideas of, of free speech that were so important around the Twitter files and around all the censorship stuff that we experience in the United States, this conflict has definitely changed the tune of a lot of mainstream Republicans on that stuff, which is unfortunate. I don't think we should go there because we do have other things we want to get to. So let's just keep ranking here. But Ouch. Man, I want to go there. I know you do. Ben Shapiro is sitting on the internet doing cancel culture stuff right now. We haven't talked about it yet, and it drives me crazy. Well, Ben Shapiro, I mean, he... He has become famous from debating eighteen-year-olds on college campuses, right? Like he—he never—he never actually picks in like an intellectual fight that would actually be challenging to him. That—that that is one of my main critiques. And Ben Shapiro, I mean, he, the, the anti—like the calling everything that he dislikes anti-Semitism has some, been something that's been in his purview for a decade now. Right. Well, um, he's, he's pivoted to to a specific word. Jew hate. So he doesn't yeah. use anti-Semitism because it's too comparable to like Islamophobia and all that kind of stuff. He, he uses that word specifically to shame his opposition. Well, b- right? back in... And, and then these guys are doing the same thing. They are also associating criti- criticism of Israel as anti-Semitism. And this was a major topic in the debate. And using that this. as a basis for censoring people is wrong. Just like it was wrong to use, uh, you know, criticism of George Floyd as an accusation of racism. Right, well, like that—that that was unfair then, and people built their entire brands on this, Joe. For five years, they built their brands on the idea that freedom of speech is so critical to the American identity, and these guys are abandoning it now. Yeah. And it's a—it's a—it's a damn tragedy. Oh, it is, and I'm not saying that it's not. I know um, you're not, and I, I, I do want to go there, but I think it deserves more time right. than we might have, yes, sir. Um, because I do think that like there are other important things that we should I, I, get fair to. Enough. to. To put a bow on that, I will say that. Uh, um, one of my biggest disdains for Ben Shapiro and that like is back when he was working for Breitbart, his criticism of Ron Paul and libertarians in general was that they're all anti-Semitic because they uh, they talk about uh, central banking too much. And that's an anti-Semitic talking point because oh, really? there's, there's know that. yeah, that, that 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 is that was something that younger Ben Shapiro used to always say. Right. <sighs> But uh, snowflakes. But right. mo- moving on onto the tier list. <laughs> All right, um, are we doing <laughs> uh, Vivek? I'm gonna. I gotta say, he's not S tier, but I would put him at A. I would put him he's in winning ter- me over. I would put it. I would put him in terms of. I, I think relative relative to every presidential candidate I've had in my adult life, he's definitely S tier for me. But I understand why he would be A. Like he's not like a perfect candidate to me, but uh, he's very good on what I consider all the most important issues uh, right now. And that is kind of uh, the woke corporate ESG stuff. He is clearly the most anti-war candidate of the major parties. Um, he's kind of got a young, vibrant charisma to him that is very good and appealing. He fits into all the, he, he knows the correct internet subcultures and he kind of is definitely a creature of the internet hive mind and his team's very 
good with that. Um, and he's very uh, responsive in the internet age. Like he, he knows exactly when to jump into things and hit those viral moments, right? Why what? is he not A tier? Let's hear it. Well, no. I know, I, you, I, know, I know you don't like him. Come on. Come why on. Why do you think I don't like him? I just go. make fun of I'm you guys for how much you like him. Uh, I was going to ask the opposite question. Why is he not S tier? No, for me, he, he, I would put him S tier. Why is he not S tier? But I, I have a feeling both of you are going to put him A tier, so I'm, I'll drop him Because down only that. Ron Paul gets to be S tier. There has to be a gold standard. <laughs> that's all, that's all has to, he is the gold standard. He literally is the gold standard. <laughs> you have to have a value unit of account, and Ron Paul is it. No, no so like, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm younger than you guys. I was never an adult during Ron Paul's era. So for me, like just being relative to everything I've seen thus far in my adult life, like he definitely is the most appealing candidate yeah. I've ever had in my adult you, life. You know, if Rand was running, I'd put him at S tier, right? Mm-hmm. Rand Paul is much closer to my point of view, if only because he's afforded the situation where he's been able to box in his political power in such a way that he can really be who he is, right? Um, while Vivek is in a different position as he's still trying to create his kind of boxed in majority and he's running for president, which is very different than running for. I, I, I think from like a very game theoretical perspective, um, Vivek is clearly to me the best, like the best choice to have somebody in that role Mm. like the entrepreneurship kind of outside the box background that he has versus like ideologically speaking like he is very clearly a philosophical thinker that is deeply well thought out on his positions on why he believes certain things um this is actually what why i think that he's a much better uh person than somebody like trump for the america first movement as a whole Mm -hmm. is because trump clearly to me He's he's not very well thought out. Well, he's very instinct, just like hitting things. Right, right? and like, additionally to that, right now Trump is running on I got stolen from last time around, so elect me this time. Yeah, right. And what I appreciate about Vivek and why I would put him above, why I put Trump in B tier, him in A tier, is because he has a positive vision going forward. He's articulating a very specific like we need to we need to decide what we're going to rally around not just what we're getting we're not just getting so radical left but we're we're pro something right you gotta get a little more radical i agree though i i I think i mean i definitely put big above trump i'm not even sure i'm not even sure i would put trump in b tier i think that there's too much baggage around him i think i mean and this isn't like my uh, calculus of if he's going to get the nomination or not. Mm. But I just think in terms of like a candidate around which I would want to rally or someone I would want to support someone I can relate to. Mm -hmm. There's just too much political division for a guy like Trump to bring the country together. His candidacy, you're putting him at C tier. His presidency would, would be more divisive to the country. And I think that that is absolutely not what we need right now. Um, Vivek, I think, does have the ability to bring people together potentially, although I'm sure a lot of people on the left probably look at him as an analog of Trump, and that's probably not super well, unfounded. Additionally but- to that, I wonder how the Republican electorate is going to re- react to the fact that he's Hindu. I just don't, yeah. I don't know if he can win a general election because of that. I, I don't had, think he'll get the same kind of bur- base I've had term, many you know? kind of like boomer conservatives ask me, so what is Hinduism? <laughs> just like out of the blue and it's mm. entirely because of Vivek. It's just like something that they've never thought about before. They've never even considered. It's like, how close is that to Christianity? <laughs> you know, like, like I've had I've had to have Not this conversation very. with multiple people. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, so I, I would, I would I'd a, I'd put Trump in B tier if only because his foreign policy I think is stronger than the other folks on on stage at least he tried 
Yeah. At least he tried. And now he made many bad decisions. Secretary of State, Defense, he put in freaking John Bolton, our FTR uh, anchor down there as mm-hmm. Fauci. Uh, major well, I, I player. Mean, and even like Chris Christie down here was like his like staff support guy yeah, too right, at one right. point. Right. Half the people on this stage were Nikki either Haley was his UN, UN ambassador. <laughs> yeah, right? or employed by him. Mm-hmm. So that's why I put him as B tier. If only because, uh, you know, as, as a president, you know, he had a, I mean, that's the other thing, Vivek, good on monetary policy, good on mm-hmm. like all the things. I mean, one thing I, I am curious about and why I would definitely put him, Trump alone too, is on foreign policy when it comes to trade. Um, I think the trade war with China was completely unnecessary. I don't mm-hmm. think it reshored anything. I think the, the evidence completely goes in the opposite direction. Fight me on this, please, internet, because you're wrong. Uh, and I, I wonder where Vivek's at on that. I really want to know what his, what his trade policy looks like. Yeah, yeah to, to me, I would put Trump at B tier as well. And it's actually more so, it's not even like get all the you know, all the random policy stuff out. There's a certain like symbolic representation that he does have, which is this uh, fighting against the establishment. You know, you know, there is the critiques of he kind of put all the establishment around him during the administration and that bogged down the first two years of his administration. His like third year was the only one where he kind of had a little bit of a grip on it. And then he got completely taken over again in the, in the fourth year, right? When COVID happened. Um, And there is a, there's a certain element of like, to me, he's just not well studied in understanding kind of the apparatus that is around him in that. He probably has a better understanding now because he experienced it. But to me, Vivek has a very clear understanding and he's able to articulate this stuff. He's also like, he is a trained lawyer as well, which there is a certain constitutional law element that's helpful for that. Um, Vivek is a lawyer? He's, yeah. He went to law school. Oh, yeah. Interesting. He never actually like practiced law or anything. He just went and studied law and, and philosophy and stuff. He's in school after he had his first, his first successful venture. He just was like, I'm going to go to law school now. And study. He is, he is the nerd, but the, the nice thing about him is that he's like the charismatic nerd. Totally. Right. Yeah. Which, totally. which most nerd presidents do very poorly. And it's always the charisma people that are very hyped up, but he's got this weird mix of being like charismatic and a nerd. But to be honest, is, what we yeah. probably need is a Coolidge type, a nerd type. Yeah, right, but right. having a charismatic nerd is nice. Right? It, it, we'll see how it goes. I mean, well, well he, uh, he's clearly not going to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> he's clearly not. not with Obviously, that Trump's going to win. But um, yeah. Tr- Trump's got unless in, in, something unless, happens. Unless the eighteen fifty civil war, the Fourteenth Amendment stuff. Right? Yes, yeah. right. So like, okay, I've said, I've mentioned this before, right? You're going to give me a curious. Look. I'm not sure that we have covered this. Oh, okay, so. What what, what no, would after, happen if- after the after the Civil War? Uh, Congress passed a law that basically said if you are a, a, a insurrectionist, right? If you're a rebel, you don't get to hold office, right? Mm, if yep. you led in the Civil War, you don't get to get. And so, will they apply that to Trump to keep him out of being able to run for? And it's been floated around for years, like yeah. within Congress. Like Nancy Pelosi was suggesting it at one point, yeah. and all this stuff, right? Mm. That's always seemed to be, and I don't mean this as a is a pun, but it's kind of funny. The Trump card ultimately that they have on, on, on it is if he's convicted by one of these, um, you know, Jane six lawsuits or one of these, um, election fraud lawsuits, if he's convicted on that, which doesn't look like a 0% John possibility, it looks like a real possibility. If anything, if you're not based upon the merits of the case, but based upon the arbitrariness of the cases and the judges they have and the prosecution they have and, you know, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, will the Supreme Court step in eventually and just nix it out? Maybe that could happen. Yeah. Uh, but I think that has its own costs and consequences. Yeah. So if the the the, the pathway for Vake is if Trump folds out because of that and then gives him the mantle, because he doesn't give him the mantle, mm-hmm. he's in trouble. Yeah. Uh, if only because I think there's a lot of 
Christian conservatives who will never trust Vivek. I'm sorry to say this because I wish it wasn't true based yep. upon his religion. Hmm. And and I've seen plenty like like I've I've listened to a lot of. I hope uh, I'm wrong about that. By I, the way, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope these people are more tolerant than that. I just. I'm skeptical. I've listened to a lot of Vivek interviews and there's been a lot of uh, interviews in the conservative circuit where before the interview even starts, they, they'll do like the, uh, now he's not a Christian, you know, and, okay, and, and, really? and they have to do a big preface beforehand, but yeah. I think he's well worth looking into, you know, like, and they're trying to like, like hone and train the audience. Right. Wow. But you know, it, it is this interesting thing where like the Christian dynamic, um, is like, he grew up Hindu, but he did also go to a Catholic school and he's like very, like he's very well versed in philo what? philosophy and theology and stuff too. Right? That's actually true of Americana, right? Mm -hmm. Like his ability to articulate Christian principle is actually very good. I was surprised by that by some interviews. Let me, in, put him, let me say yeah. why he's not S tier. The reason why he's not, not only because he's not Ron Paul, but his position on China is not good. In my opinion, I think he has the wrong position on China. I think he's, uh, he is in, incompatible with his position on Ukraine. And he and he hasn't reconciled that because he needs the votes because the Republican electorate is so lit up on war with China. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like half and half on his China position. I'm not as full blown on with the libertarians entirely about the China Taiwan stuff. I do think that there are risks that exist there just because we do live in a geopolitical nation state type of thing. Um, I think that there's certain like there's certain like uh, magic word points that libertarians get very triggered about with China stuff that I'm like, uh, cause I, I don't see Vivek's positioning seems to be very much like we got to move to kind of get out of Taiwan over time. Cause there is a dependence sure. that exists and, he, and, and like, but that, that's an important thing. Cause like everybody else is just like, we got to go all in on Taiwan. Sure. And, was like, and, sure. and his position is much more like, let's start moving our way out sure. and positioning ourselves so that we don't have to be super concerned. We'll about be clear. This. I actually just articulated as my point of view on Taiwan is to get divest, invest local you know, stuff like that, which sure. is his position up until the point where now, no, 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 it isn't his position. His position is that he needs to create strategic clarity, which will violate our current agreement with China and will escalate and make it far more likely that we go to war China. Like that's the thing he doesn't understand. And he's not, I don't think he's grasping mm -hmm. is that he is the guy saying, Hey, Ukraine join NATO. <laughs> and as if that was going to deter Russia. And he's thinking that that's going to deter China. We dropped our uh, mutual security defense agreement with Taiwan to get the situation with China that we've had since the 1970s. Right. He wants to reinstate that which will create more conflict, you know, likelihood and, and, and more problems. So that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying he's just, well, I, well, I, I not disagree with the entire policy and maybe I overstated it earlier. I disagree with that part because I don't think he's fully yeah. integrated. And, and that's why I say I'm like kind of 50, 50 on it. Sure. Like I, I, I it's but what what, what what magical word am I triggered on? Are you, like, are you criticizing me with that or what, what no? Do you mean? I, I, the, the libertarian ethos in general, I see it all the time. Is like like I just like I scan libertarians on Twitter and I see what they are. Like he makes like one one statement that is kind of like half in the libertarian camp and half not, and everybody's like, oh my god, is he like, oh, and, and they do <laughs> yeah. that with the Israel Hamas stuff too, where it's like his, his position is that Israel should deal with their own problems and and they if they get attacked they should attack back, and they're just like, well, does that mean that he wants to send all this stuff to him? And and it's just like, uh, like yeah. it becomes this kind of like, uh, just, I, I, I hate that type of like the nitpickiness of it where it's just like, guys chill. <laughs> like it's like, he's so much clearly better than everybody else's stuff on here where it's just like, let's just like, let's kind of take what we can get right here. And like, we'll get things figured out as things go. Like, and he clearly is like, 
to me, like the libertarians shouldn't be super worried about him because he's clearly like hanging out with the libertarians and like actively doing the libertarian communication stuff. Like he, he's been on Dave Smith's show three times. He's been with Clint Russell like three times and Luke Rodkowski's podcast last night, which was very good and talking about issues that you do not talk about as a presidential candidate. Like he was actively talking about like, like Jeffrey Epstein client list and all this stuff and going in on the conspiracy stuff on that. Like, like he's very clearly like, a pretty good, well-communicated, yeah. like transparent candidate that we should, that we shouldn't be like freaking out over because like small nitpicky details, like that's, that, a, that's what frustrates. I me. don't think my criticism is a small nitpicky detail because China's a nuclear state yeah. and he's being provocative sure. by doing that. And I don't think it's, a, it's not. Yeah. Small. Yeah. It's just like, there is certain things where like, like just for me, it's just kind of like pull back a little bit. There's going to be some things that you disagree with. Sure. But like, it's not like the end of the world to me for like, sure. like that, that is like a very D ranking thing, which you're, you're obviously you're putting them at a, it is a D ranking thing for a lot of like big yeah. mainstream libertarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I see, I see certain figures. I'm not going to name them, but I see them just being like, this guy's trash because like one thing they disagree with him and, and it'll be like big figures right. with like hundred thousand. Oh, and like they did that to Ron right? Paul too. There was lots of libertarians yeah. who were like, oh, he said something one time that I thought was slightly off color. So I'll never, yeah, you know, but like it's, it, to me, it's it, like the reason types are always are off going to do that but it's even like the people much more in my camp in the Misesian camp I'm even seeing it within them too yeah yeah, yeah where yeah. I'm just like eh, just thing. like pull back a little bit chill like <laughs> you know it's like right all right um, so I, I will try not to take that defensively I'll be I'll mm-hmm. be cooler about it so about the Epstein thing you did see that Marshall Blackburn put in yeah yeah did you see that I did can we play that really quick I mean I know that's not on the on the thing but it's on discord was, oh yeah oh it is check it out I, I don't have that this right is kind of a kind of a big uh big development on that i have not seen this by the way you know we should just probably put tucker carlson up at a2 just because <laughs> there we go oh s tier <laughs> get out of town tucker freaking nationalist I, I said a to be fair yeah is I, he a uh, nationalist? A mess. oh yeah he is. i just i just really oh, enjoy yeah, his uh his newfound freedom to do what he does on twitter i think that's been fun yeah. um what am i wh- where do we have this in the discord topics i'm pretty sure i put it in the discord is it in topics? Well, questions? why don't you just summarize it for us, David? What uh, what was the what was well? The... She uh, she requests a subpoena of Jeffrey Epstein's estate, demanding the infamous flight logs for public record. This is the Tennessee Republican Senator Mar- Marshall Blackburn, uh, which is very interesting. Um, her as uh, quote: "Given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and abuse surrounding Mr. Epstein, we've got to identify everyone who could have participated in this horrible participated in this horrible conduct." End quote. Um, no small thing. And I, I, I thought it was very interesting, like action from the Senate, uh, to, uh, get that on, uh, on the record as a request. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unf*** the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes electric peak yerba mate, postbiotic sodas, keto friendly, ready to drink margaritas and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. So yes, uh, interesting other piece of information that recently came out this week was the Nashville Covenant shooter, Audrey Hale. Uh, Her manifesto was released uh, to the public and it's interesting who released it, right? It was someone leaked it to Stephen Crowder. Of all people. Uh, do, who's Stephen Crowder? I know you're a fan. 
Oh, I mean, I've watched his show. Um, of course, everything he's ever said. I, I agree with everything he's ever said <laughs> on the record. Uh, no, that is not true. Uh, so he's, I mean, he's, I would say probably the biggest by numbers other than Tucker Carlson, like the biggest uh, conservative news commentator. He's also a comedian. Uh, he's, he's the guy that you've probably seen on the internet doing the like change my mind stuff yeah. where he's like sits on college campuses and has conversations with, with college students, children, debates, yeah. children, very similar to Ben Shapiro. Interesting trend on the, on the, on the far on the right. They, although that. they did have this spat when daily wire tried to acquire. The, That's know, true. They've got a bit of there, beef. There, there's too. a bit of beef there. That yeah. best own the kids. <laughs> Kyle needs to go on a college campus to start owning kids. We just, should just start dunking on kids. We should do <laughs> a do man on the street. Dunk on the kids. <laughs> human reaction edition. Um, so anyway, yeah, very interesting that he would be the one to acquire this manifesto. I mean, of all outlets, how how would it have been? No, him? I haven't actually caught how that happened. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's been confirmed as authentic by the state of the chief of police. It's another great use of uh, community notes uh, to clarify that. Uh, but it is an unauthorization, unauthorized release of three pages of the writing. There are other ones that haven't been released still, uh, but these are the main ones. And it's like, well, and it's this very is- creepy. Like if you've, if you've seen it, like, do you want to bring them up? I got it linked in the thing. I think, I think just to add a, I mean, a point of clarity for folks that maybe aren't super familiar with this, like this manifesto was specifically withheld from the public for a long time. And it was a point of contention. uh, I think perhaps mostly on the right, but it was, it was, it was suspicious. Folks on the right were, were curious as to why this manifesto wasn't being released under the suspicion that it was because the shooter was a trans individual and that the media did not want to paint that in a negative light. This happens all the time um, with shooters. And there does seem to be a bit of a strange, like the type of shooter tends to be a thing. Like oftentimes there's like these like climate fascist types of shooters too. And those, because they're like environmental, like I think those get removed as well. I, I used to, so like I used to study psychology and one of my like really big interests was studying like, like like public shooters and stuff like that and i would actively go out and like read read their manifestos and find them online and oftentimes it's like there's like an initial moment where you can find it and then it's just like scrubbed from the internet Mm -hmm. that often uh happens um but yeah like typically what i've always noticed as a trend is like a lot of these shooters you know this is a trans one so it's a bit different but a lot of times they're like there's like a climate environmentalism element to their stuff and those ones often becomes become the ones that get scrubbed mm, too. Yeah. So it, it is interesting that that happens. So what what did this one contain? I have not actually well, explored it. If you go to the picture, it's very interesting. Like the way they managed to like draw a little drawing on top about their murder. It's very strange. It's like it has like the tone of like a middle schooler. Mm. Like look at that death day with like the target and the gun, and it's just like wow. Yikes. Um. And like the excitement, this day has finally come. I can't, can't believe, believe it's here. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's completely wild. Um, I'm a little nervous, but excited to. Hold on. I was reading that, Kyle. Sorry. <laughs> Been excited for the past two weeks. So this is, this is something this person is like relatively elated about. For seems. a very long time, too. It's so wild. In order to. And then it's interesting that you have this person who's, who's quite white. Um, and um, non-binary, you know, refer to these little children and staff as the F word. Wow. Uh, and, you know, another word, uh, crackers. Um, 
I, I just can't. And and like the the references to their male genitalia and yellow hair. Like this is a person who was just driven by profound amount of collectivism and resentment. You can't. I mean, I'm reading this. Can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. Yeah, just to victimize somebody in the name of like if her motivation was to like get back at the people who victimized her, which has long been the uh, the stipulation of the shooter's motive in this case. I mean, another passage. It might be 10 minutes tops. It might be three to seven. It's going to go quick. I hope I have a high death count. Like this is an extremely troubled individual. It doesn't matter who they are, or how they identify. This is a seriously ill person well if you go through the if you go through the 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 other pages you have an entire schedule for the day look at that or they scheduled out like 6 30 get up seven get dressed (laughs) eat breakfast at home and like a little heart over home it's just it's absolutely bizarre insight into their mind as they're about to do something so horrendous with such casualness and that's because of the just of the righteous i assume right it's because of the righteousness that they feel and what they're doing well it, that tends to be most of these situations from all the manifestos that i've read through of like public shooters they always tend to be some sort of righteous justification for some sort of collective resentment of what's been going on in politics and oftentimes over the last decade or so it's generally been like climate fanaticism um, most of them have been. This one's, uh, I think, a bit different than climate fat. Although, was there any of that in in these pages that we have here? No. I, I haven't actually read through this. Manifesto. No, it's 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 mostly about um, identity politics, right? It's about mm, their Christianness, which is now the religious cisness know, symbol their, of the time. Yeah, right? maleness, um, it, which is which is interesting because they were female transi- transition to male, right? Mm, yeah, I think so. Right, yeah. Right, to, yeah, to, yeah. Oh man, I'm messing it up at the moment. But yeah, yeah that, I, I remember you're, you're when. Yes. Okay, trans, right, so, trans male. Yes, I, I remember. We don't have to get bogged down by <laughs> left brain nonsense that the left keeps putting out. <laughs> like we don't have to do that. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm only what I'm always trying to articulate is it, it's strange that it would be their maleness that would cause the resentment in this case, uh, specifically noting, you know, their genitalia. More broadly on this topic, is it? Is it right or wrong that this manifesto was kept from the public? You know, one of the things, okay, so the best argument I will try to steal, man, of not doing it, which is you don't want to inspire more people who have a similar ideology to take steps by giving attention to that person. That said, I'm not sure the intention's positive. And I, and I, on the other side of it, like, what's the motivation? What's the theory of motivation for mass shooters? No, the, the copycat phenomenon is is ridiculous to me. It, it always has been. Um, or like the, the justification of like, this is why we have to, like I take very much, you know, it's it's kind of like one of, let's go back to Vivek here, where he, one of his central messages, right, is that we can handle the truth. Let's declassify all the nonsense, right? And, and so that the public actually knows what's going on about these things. I, I feel the exact same way about this of like any active use of trying to censor this, I think is very um, negative, um, for the public's understanding of these things. Cause part of it is like the public needs to understand why these events happen. And right now it's just kind of like shield your eyes. You can't see it. Like this, the, the world's not as crazy as you think it is. Like, you know, this very like nanny state operations that exist there. Mm. Um, I, I think it's very much that the people that like, like we should have psychologists looking at this. We should be like, what is going on? There's clearly some sort of cultural issue that's happening right here. There's like a deep resentment that's building in people. 
And we're essentially training our kids to hate or to, to not be positive about the future because of X reasons. That, that's why one of the, like, this is the trans thing, but a lot of the other shooters tend to be like climate stuff. And it's just like, well, it's because they have like the Greta Thun- Thunberg mentality, right? Of like, the world's terrible. You shouldn't have kids. We're, we're poisoning the planet. Mother mm-hmm. Gaia is dying, right? So then you end up having, well, the only logical conclusion is we got to start eliminating some people, right? That, that becomes the thing. So we, we have to have this understanding right here. And if we don't, as a society, try to understand what is this motivating resentment right here, then we're not going to get anywhere. It's just going to continue building. I totally agree with what you said, like, like that there's the errors that are made here, like philosophical, underlying, ontological, or errors of being. Like, like Those are a lot of words. The vision <laughs> of who that person is. And what would motivate them to do this? If we don't talk about that as a society and say like, hey, we can do that in a way that says everybody who's a trans person is not a shooter, of course. And, and, and obviously, if you think that Americans are so dumb that they can't differentiate between a peaceful person and a violent person, well, then you would want to silence it, right? You'd want to censor it. Americans are much smarter than that. We're able to differentiate between those two things and be able to say, hey, this is, this is a difference. This is a line. What is that line? And then you know, be able to identify that in somebody. Why is resentment such a terrible thing? Um, and, and talk about that as a society. I don't see how you solve the problem of that motivation for a mass shooter. When we know it, we have to talk about it so that we can get the word out about why it's so terrible. One thing you've mentioned a couple of times, though, that I want to pivot back to is w- when you say a climate activist shooter, who do you have in mind? Because I'm not, I'm just not familiar. Australia with Australia had it. Um, a, a bunch of these over times have, um, there was a New Zealand shooter. There was, and, and they'll often, the media will be very selective in their, like, I remember, I can't remember which, this was several years ago, but I can't remember which shooter it was. I think it was the New Zealand shooter. Um, uh, the manifesto got very scrubbed from the internet and I had snagged it before the Hmm. scrubbing had happened. And I downloaded the entire thing and I read through it. And the guy was very like, philosophical about mm. like it's like think about like ted kaczynski and like thinking deeply about like tech revolution type of stuff um like it's the same type of thing where they're like very philosophically they're following through like the logic of why they believe what they believe and they'll be like i listen to this person and i listen to this person and i think that person's dumb like mm. like that you'll end up having that in a lot of these manifestos and you'll kind of see the train of thought and the logic progression if you actually read them in full typically mm. um but instead what ends up happening is a lot of these they'll like pick stuff out so like like I remember I believe it was the New Zealand shooter that happened like it was a big shooting I can't remember how many people but this was several years ago and and the person referenced Candace Owens once so like we weren't we weren't allowed to see the entire manifesto but they're like but the person said they listened to Candace Owens and that's what the media ran with yes. right mm-hmm. and, but it, it was like a very like non like that's what thing it, it wasn't she, the person wasn't praising Candace Owens the person was like a like a left wing fascist like that's what mm-hmm. their actual ideology was mm-hmm. right and it's always a terrible thing like when that guy shot that congresswoman years and years and years ago in um, Arizona yeah yeah Arizona i mean he was he was a right wing fox news listener and that's mm-hmm. what the media ran with their motivation and what's so frustrating about that is it's obviously false bec- that anyone is getting that motivation from fox news or from right wing media um, because 99.99% of all people who listen to that aren't that way. So there's like an association, there's a work game, maybe a, maybe a media psyop game going on mm-hmm. that you're fo- focusing on where they're like, if it's right wing, then we're going to talk about it. If it's left wing, we're going to avoid it. Possible. I just do think that there's like 
you know, it, that's that's why we need them all to be released and vetted and talked about because when tragedy happens, and this is, you know, um, pop psychology, but I really do, it seems to be true in my life, when really bad things happen and you have that confrontation with something that's really evil, the best thing you could do to process it is to process it, not avoid it, not just pretend like it didn't happen, not just move on as an arbitrarily like denial of reality, but rather to talk through it. That's why, you know, talking you know, therapy sessions or hanging out with the bros and talking about your issues is such a good thing. Um, and I, and I really struggle with the kind of the social agenda that would say we need to prevent people from being able to ever see this important document so that we can identify as a culture why it's evil. Well, and this is like, this kind of goes back to the last episode of Elon Musk on Rogan when he was talking about how there's this death cult that's forming and it's like this mind virus that's sweeping across the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Nietzsche, kind of famously had a very similar insight when back in the 19th century, he was talking about how he basically predicted like everything in the 20th century with the world wars. He basically predicted and he, and he predicted it because there was the stewing resentment that was sweeping across the world. And he saw the kind of battle as you were moving into the 21st century, would it be, would be end up becoming this, um, this battle of two, two big opposing forces. And one is like this, like, this uh, life-affirming will to power, and the other was this death cult that just wants to see everything ruined um, because there's, like, this resentment towards the world and everything that humans stand for, um, and there's, like, this resentment that exists. Mm-hmm. And those would be the two clear opposing ideologies that would start to form um, mm-hmm. as you moved into the 21st century. And it's, like, when you, when you see everything that's going on and you see how, like, politics across the world are shaping up and you see how, like, these different ideologies are forming, it really seems like all these different ideologies to me, like, you can, like, put them in as a subset, as, like, this is a sub-ideology of the life-affirming ideology, and then this is a subset of the death cult. You know, and you can see those forces start to like, I I think there was something very prescient about what Nietzsche was saying there. And when you hear people like Elon Musk, you know, on Rogan saying like, it's a death cult. He's like, I'm thinking back to, you know, reading my old Nietzsche books and being like, oh my, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. That is the correct framework of what's happening here. Right. And you see the resentment in these shooters, right? And it it precedes there. Like Rousseau is a great example, right? Rousseau is all saying back in the day in the Renaissance is saying, Everything in civilization, it's all terrible. And if we just got rid of property and we had free love, everything would be better. I'm Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Mm-hmm. That's my theory, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, whoa, romanticism, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's, that's, the, that's the origin of that. And it's specifically an anti-civilization, anti-peace, anti, you know, all the extended order relationships that create human wealth and prosperity. He was opposed to it. And what we do is we take that person and we just read them and we say like, oh, well, he thought, you know, yeah. Everyone's born free, but everyone born in chains. And they just quote that and they move on and they don't realize that it's an entire system based on, and, and, and like the rise of socialism is another example that people might be able to more tangibly grab onto, came from romanticism. Romanticism was a response, an anti-response. It was the antithesis to the, synthesis, to, the, to, the, to the thesis of capitalism. Capitalism said, hey, if we just are peaceful and we trade with one another, if we just treat everyone the same, we'll be able to get a better result. And the and they said, well, hey, you're getting all this result, all this science, but what about the human spirit? What about emotion? What about what about the life giving force of you know, <laughs> of romanticism, right? Mm-hmm. Of uh, of uh, of the life and death struggle against nature, and you're going to remove that, and that'll remove all purpose in life. 
we live in like the carcass of that dialogue, right? To this day, like we're still fighting that fight and we can't seem to reconcile those two. And I think the nihilism as represented in this, in this, in this work is just the social expression of romanticism and socialism Mm -hmm. as ideas that are based upon envy that are based upon resentment and not based upon the opposite of those things, which are, and to be clear, this is why our culture needs gratitude, right? And responsible, adoption of response like the, uh, the adoption of responsibility as the antidote to those things because your gratitude says the things that you have shouldn't be based upon resentment your gratitude says that there is something worthy of your you know appreciation as a person uh, participating in society and then that there are problems to solve and i'm going to go try to solve them with my domain of influence and, and power right that 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 redeems the social order as opposed to just simply wants to burn it down which is not what the romantics were ever trying to do, right? They, they just, they didn't really care what the result was as long as they got theirs. Fascinating. I didn't know any of that, so I appreciate the education. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Diving into the philosophy a little bit. But, yeah. I, but that's, what, that's what, when you look at the dark side of humans, right, that it provokes you. It draws you into the deeper psychological and philosophical questions of our social order. That's why it's important to have the conversation. Because like, if you can't identify, if you identify in someone else, but you definitely need to learn how to identify in yourself. Because if you live your life by the ethic of resentment, you're going to have a, it's going to be a terrible life. But if you can cultivate gratitude, I think you'll have a much better life. Well, and that, that's why, yeah, that, that's exactly why. And it's why I'm such like a Nietzsche boy. I'm a, I'm a stand for Nietzsche. Um, was kind of like what you were saying with um, Rousseau there, where there's kind of like this pop culture view of Rousseau that exists, mm-hmm. um, where they just kind of look at, they look at a few quotes and they're just like, that's exactly what happened. Like you, you go to any college and Nietzsche is going to be, going to be framed as this deep nihilist. Like he's, he's the nihilist philosopher, but his entire work is him about here's how we got to nihilism and why nihilism is going to spread through. And we have to fight against it. Like, like that's his entire work, but you go to, you like, I, I was sitting in, in philosophy classes in college and there's like, yep, this is the nihilist philosopher. And you're like, like, what, what are you doing here? Like his, his entire thing is like, this is how you stop mass shootings. Like this is the psychology that's necessary in order to stop mass shootings from happening. This is kind of before big mass shootings, but like that is essentially what the philosophy, that's what the mm-hmm. idea is. You can agree or disagree of like, this is how you're supposed to approach it. But like, but that is what his, what he's trying to fight against is like people stewing and resentment that's been building up over thousands of years of, of like all these different philosophies kind of forming to the forefront. And this is how our moral frameworks have, have evolved. And it's like inevitable that we're going to lead to this point where, where these death cults are going to form. That was Nietzsche's position was that it will be inevitable that we get to this place because if we don't get our stuff straight now, this is going to be what happens. And there's going to be hundreds of millions of people that die in the 20th century. And that was the warning. It wasn't just Nietzsche. It was Kierkegaard. It was Dostoevsky. Like a lot of these people in the, in kind of like the late 18th or late 19th century, these writers, they were starting to see it form. And you had, and you saw it like Nietzsche was German. Dostoevsky was Russian. And, and they were looking at how the ethos of their, their kind of geographical regions were starting to form right there. And they were predicting what would happen. And then what happens? Two world wars, right? You know, it's like, and, and it's all based off of like, you see Hitler's speeches, right? And he's, he's being like, the German people need to rise up because like we're resentful and nonsense and blah, blah, blah. And then you start to have, like, have this happen. And then you have like the slave ment- mentality that f- sweeps across Russia. Um, and, and then- Well, additionally, what? the Russian Revolution is a great example. Like Dostoevsky and his work and the, and the other Russian authors yeah. are kind of highlighting this underlying phenomena of resentment and the building up of an atheistic- 
anti-religion, anti-society, anti-being. A meaningless society. Yes. Which is, yeah, which is all nihilism means meaninglessness. Right. So like we have to figure out how to get meaning again. It'd be like, it'd be like thinking of Christianity in terms of how bad sin is as if that was the point of Christianity. Right. Does that make sense? Like that's how people orientate towards uh, Nietzsche. One of the things, and the other part of that, and I think the other, the other um, thing is that people take out what they want from them, right? So the Nazis came in and they took out of Nietzsche. Wow, will the power? Well, that's us. Yeah, the Ubermensch. Right? We, we going, have to create the superhuman, and, and then that's like the basis for eugenics and stuff, right? Right, like right, right. They took out that, but then what they didn't, what they missed, was they they only chose the things that they liked about it. They didn't get the whole philosophy, right? And that's what that's what people do. Politics grabs the things that they need to justify what they already had decided that they want. A lot of his work was criticizing the Germans for what they had become. Right. <laughs> like he's just like slamming the Germans. Like Nietzsche went and became a stateless person, renounced his citizenship and became an anarchist living in the woods, just going hiking every day. Like, and then he, he would just go, go hiking, then write, hiking, then write. Like that was, that was the mustache man himself was that, right? He was the original mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Screw John Bolton. I know. Nietzsche mustache, man. <laughs> <laughs> that thing is heavy. I know, it's you heavy. A picture if you don't know. Um, um, well, so really quick yes. before we move on, if someone's listening to this and going, okay, you know, these sort of semi-prophetic writings of these uh, philosophers are pointing to the things we're experiencing today. We speak of responsibility. What is what is an average person to take from this in terms of what is their responsibility in order to help us find our way out of nihilism towards a better society? So I think the first the first step for me and is responsibility is a verb. The, the noun is be a self-owning individual, like take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for your life. Now, part of that is cultivating like a, an inventory of your life. Take a stock of who you are and what are you, grat- what, what do you have gratitude for? And if you look at your life and say, I have zero gratitude for anything, you're probably missing something. I suspect that you do have things that are on the upside that you need to look at and have some gra- and cultivate some gratitude for. And then when you find the things that you have problems you address those problems in a way that benefits yourself, benefits others, and makes the world a better place. And start on that domain that you are capable of controlling, right? You got a terrible job? Well, how do you upskill, right? How do you earn yourself a, a, the wage that you feel like your skills could command if you just took some responsibility for yourself, took responsibility for your environment and your condition, and then went about as a positive actor in that world? I wonder about each of these terrible people that we've mentioned, right? The shooter, the, the, the mini mustache man whose name shall not be mentioned. Um, and I wonder to what degree, if only they had that moment, that intervention, that, that part that said, Hey, you got rejected from art school. And you know, that's a terrible thing that, that, that sense of rejection can take you to terrible places. And rather than feeding that, you have the gratitude for what you do have and what your possibilities could have been and how you can make the world a better place without horrifying murder, you know? Um, and, and by cultivating the opposite of that, you kind of create the antidote. Kyle, sorry, did I kind of rambled a little bit there? No, no. I mean, I, I agree with all that. Like a lot of people just kind of stew in their resentment towards whatever it is like i don't make enough money or women don't like me or whatever it was like well you got to have like a bit of a you know to steal a nietzschean term like a will to power you have to have a willpower and kind of you know claim what you need like claim your spot in life and in whatever you want to make of it like a lot of a lot of the problems in the world right now is 
people are kind of like looking for other people to fix things for themselves. And then if things don't get fixed, they just kind of like, and then they become that kind of like curmudgeon boomer that's just complaining about life, you know, just sitting, watching, like they just, they, and then they go into their monotonous routine of like, well, I get up, then I go to work and then, and then I have lunch and then I work again and then I come back, crack open a beer and then watch the news until I go to bed and maybe my wife likes me. (laughs) It's like, right. Like, and they just get in through that cycle. Um, you know, and you got to kind of like figure out how to break yourself out of that cycle or else you just kind of stew in resentment your entire life. Right. Yeah. And it's just like resentment is the, is the biggest killer really in society right now. And it's so pervasive. It's so everywhere. And it just seems like so many of these ideologies that, that are being propped up right now, it's just people just kind of stewing and just like hating things. And it's like, there's more to life than that. Like, yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, perhaps it's a it's a wake up call if you find yourself living in that in that space. Understand, like, you know your your emotions are your own to control. You know you can't you can't control other people's actions. You can't control the things that you might encounter in the world that might trigger you or upset you and make you want to resent or hate or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you can control your response to those stimuli. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that uh, I recommend a lot of people do, you could, there's many books out there to help you create a grasp on this, right? You can read 12 Rules for Life and find yourself appreciating that cat that you find on the street to give it a pet, to see a moment of beauty in the midst of suffering, right? Uh, you could take some more responsibility and make your bed, right? Those are ideas. If those don't appeal to you, pick up um, uh, the, the Obstacle is the Way by mm-hmm. Ryan Holiday, which is a great book on stoicism and unpacking that for the modern world. And that idea that you can't control your environment, you can't control anything around you, but what you can control is how you react to it. Then just by owning that space of what you're able to act in the world, you can, you can make that marginal difference. Even if it's, uh, I have a job I don't like, I have a situation I don't like with my family, I have, you know, whatever it is, you find the thing that makes that next 1% improvement and you just master that and then take on the next one and the next one. You got to grow somewhere. And so put a place that allows you to do that and then take a second to appreciate it when you get something, right? That's another part of it. People are like, oh, if I'm not Andrew Tate, I'm a terrible, brokey human being, right? (laughs) That's a terrible dichotomy of looking at the world. Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to yesterday and how you make the next, yeah, Yeah. how you make the next step to make the next best thing happen for you. Um, And and like there's there's a whole lot of people out there like the the incel community thing, like you said earlier. You want to get better talking to girls. There's plenty of people out there who want to teach you how to do that. Go figure that out, right? Charisma on command. Look them up on YouTube. Find a way to be able to talk better. There's lots of pathways here, but what many people will do is they'll say there's something wrong with me as an individual. Like I am destined to be this place and in category as victim forever. And you're not. Well, to, to turn this into a Nietzsche lecture now, um, th- this was the big kind of the insight of him looking at the moral framework of society is that he saw things as like, there's like this master ideology and there's a slave ideology. And this was kind of the, the main difference between those is the slave ideology they don't want to improve themselves and get better. They look at everything as like good and evil and they want to bring the masters down to their level. Like there's nothing about like trying to elevate yourself. It's all about trying to equalize everything. And, you know, you can have your political you know thoughts on where that might lead. Right. You say um, equity now. It's equity. <laughs> yeah. Where, where the, where the master ideology is much more thinking of like, what's good for me and what's bad for me. 
and and just kind of purging out the bad and and getting the good things in life so that you can continue to elevate yourself where the slave morality is just like no those guys up there we got to pull them down and and then you have a slave revolt right like that's that's the kind of paradigm that nietzsche presents as where the two the two opposing moral frameworks of society were and still are i think but it, we're increasingly moving more and more and more and it just seems like society continues to trend in that direction of of the slave morality taking over and we have to try to like oh that person's doing better at me i gotta be whiny and resentful about it i gotta like stew in my resentment and hate that person because there's something about them that just makes me feel bad about myself so that they need to be just like me right we we, our society actually always has both right it always has a side that is uh this week what went viral was this this person got pulled over who's non-binary and by this police officer and you get the body cam footage and they are just constantly saying but I have this psychological condition and I'm actually identifies this. And like, they're just complaining about their social condition yeah. when he's like, you were speeding. Like, <laughs> and I think you're drunk, you know, like it was, it was, <laughs> but you see what I mean? Like there was like, there was like an attempt to like reverse the, the moral order of what was happening right then as them, they can't be guilty of this law after all. And they're trying to create sympathy as opposed to, so you have that and you have like the woke movement and things like that, but you also have Chris Williamson. And you have Jordan Peterson, you have, and you have um, Ryan Holiday and all, all these folks. And Ryan Holiday's background was being a terrible ad person, to be clear. Yeah. Right. His, his story arc is, I was a terrible human being, and then I decided then to get a, my shit together. Then by Robert Greene. Yeah. You know. And, and so, like, there's a, there's a tremendous, you know, amount of moment in our culture that says that has two parts of it. It's the resentment. It's the, I'm going to improve myself. And then there's like the, I'm too jaded. I don't need to improve myself. Why you listen to self-improvement? Like, like I had, you know, it's, I'm too cool for school as a way to get social credit, as opposed to being like, I have problems and I'm going to, I'm working on them. Right. Oh, and then they scapegoat their problems on other, this is why. Right. And that's where, that's where, I mean, bringing it back to the shooter phenomenon that often seems to be like, these are the reasons why the problems and I'm going to have this righteous stand against the scapegoat that I've like crafted for myself. They, they put up an idol and they're trying to fight that idol of, and that that idol represents everything that's wrong with the world and they're fighting it right there. And it's that scapegoating mentality that comes from the resentment because it, it causes delusions and you start to have like these cognitive biases where you, you're not seeing things straight. And you're just like, if, if, if that, if that group of people, you know, like they're the problem or like that person, they're the problem. Or like, you know, it's like, oh, the problem is that like Trump was in the White House, you know, like that becomes a thing. Or it's like my, my political candidate that I hate, that's the problem. And it just becomes this like symbol that you, that you, uh, orchestrate for yourself. Yeah. I wish we could, uh, if we, if we had it, uh, there was a, uh, this week, the poll watcher was like accosted by somebody uh, it was a Democrat against a Republican, right? The Republicans are behind his camera. And I'd actually know the guy. And he's he's watching this guy and they're going by. And this guy's just spewing like these strange talking points. Like a, it's hard to explain, but it's like it's like a meat machine, right? That's just like throwing all resentment of watching MSNBC every day for, for years at this person. Just magic just words. Just random word salads of buzzwords, right? And, and you've seen it. You've, if you haven't seen the one I'm talking about, you've seen a video like this, right? Especially during COVID. They're all right? the same oh, yeah. video. They're all the same thing. And it's like the NPC phenomena where all these people have like that, that itself is, is that thing, right? And it happens on the right too. I'm not just saying it's a leftist phenomenon, phenomena, right? People can get really tied up in some stuff and they'd be like, well, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, QAnon was a similar like inversion of that very thing, but just for right wingers. Right. Um, and I'm trying to be charitable in this. What I'm trying to say is that there is a, 
there's a propensity to turn the other side into like an object worthy of your hate as much as you turn yourself into the victim, right? And that object worthy of hate necessitates a collectivist ideology, right? It necessitates to take a bunch of, a bunch of kids at a Christian school and turn them into the oppressors, right? I mean, the security guard at the school, which we haven't even talked about the fact that there's a very specific part of this where they say, I hope there's no one there to stop me, right? That there's no security there to go check for security beforehand, uh, that they picked this place because it wasn't well protected. Mm. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but that's the thing is like, if you, if you feel like you are, are standing up against the, it, like you compress a complex social phenomena of what you feel like sexuality is in our world or, or, or whatever it is, or, or Christians or whatever, and their oppression, and you compress it down to everyone is just that thing. That's where you've made the error, right? Resentment is a starting motivation. And then collectivism is the next era of saying, well, like the guy who murdered the little Arab kid that we talked about a couple of years ago or a couple of weeks ago. You know, like he's sitting there, he's watching whatever, saying all oh, these Arabs are killing all the Jews, and he gets a knife and he goes and kills a kid and his mom, or puts a mom in the hospital. You know, he had he had built that kid a a, a, a treehouse. He was their land. He was their landlord. You know, and he just and he but he but he confused the individual with the aggregate and that propensity that that is the demon in the human soul that just says. I, I don't have to think about each individual. I don't want to do the mental difficulty of saying these people is different than these people. I'm just going to say all white people bad or all Jews bad or all Arabs bad or any of those sorts of things. When those are terrible mental models, those are shortcuts that we use to save energy. That's not how it is in the real world. And if you, and if you let yourself embrace that philosophy, that's when you make the biggest mistakes. Yeah. It's a really deep topic. Uh, lots to, lots to consider there lots to lots to ponder and think about i think to to end on a positive note it would be good to end on a a point of gratitude perhaps Mm. with uh this veterans day video since veterans day is tomorrow i think i think it's going to do a little bit of both like a little bit of gratitude a little bit of like hey you need to rethink about how you think about veterans day that's why i like the video so much gratitude with with introspection (laughs) yeah exactly yeah hey friends dan mcknight here chairman and founder of bringourtroopshome.us Today, I am sitting here wearing this Paisley shirt as an homage to my friend, Army Ranger and veteran, and Director of Field Operations for Bring Our Troops Home, Diego Rivera. You see, Diego is known throughout most of Western civilization as a grassroots leader, a political savant. And it's only fitting that I get to honor him today, on Veterans Day, by wearing Paisley, which is Diego's own calling card. You know, this same time last year, I wrote a review for an anthology edited by Andrew Basevich and my friend Danny Scherzen. It's called Paths of Descent, and it's a collection of essays written by veterans of the global war on terror describing their own personal experiences and how 20 years of endless war changed their perspective since they first signed up. One of the contributors, Jason Dempsey, he described the American public's perspective on military and war veterans as respectful indifference. That phrase has been on my mind this past week as we're approaching Veterans Day. That's because I think it's easier for our society to give veterans a discount at a hardware store or a free meal on Veterans Day if he does at a chain restaurant 
than it is to reconcile the fact that less than 1% of Americans volunteer for the military and current recruitment numbers are in the dump. It's easier to give a pat on the back and an automated thank you for your service than it is to ask yourself why that veteran that you're thanking is twice divorced, can't find a steady job, or wakes up in a cold sweat at 4 a.m. in the morning. And it's a lot easier to name a stretch of highway after a Purple Heart recipient than it is to actually listen to what a Purple Heart recipient has to say about their own service. The worst perpetrators of this respectful indifference are politicians. In our work at Bring Our Troops Home, we've had multiple Purple Heart recipients attend state legislature committee hearings and tell their representatives why they should support the Defend the Guard Act. This bill, which my team has gotten introduced into half the state legislatures in the country, would prohibit the National Guard from being deployed into active combat unless Congress has declared war. These wounded warriors explain how this legislation is a necessary tool to force Washington, D.C., to end the forever wars in the Middle East and to restore accountability to our own foreign policy. And these legislators, they nod right along. They thank the veteran for showing up. They run out of the room to have a picture and a photo op with them to put in their own newsletters to send to their own constituents. And then all too often they return to the room and they vote no. All the while expounding on how much they love and respect what soldiers do. My director of field operations, Diego, he served in Iraq as an army ranger. And he told me once that these politicians are standing on the graves of soldiers, telling them how much the troops matter. He's right. They are. So here's my challenge to you. This Veterans Day, make a pledge to yourself to break out of the respectful indifference. If you have a veteran in your family or a friend who's a veteran, give them a call. Don't thank them for their service. They've already heard it a dozen times today from complete strangers. Instead, talk to them. Ask them how they're doing. Most importantly, ask if there's something that you can help with. Ask them about their own service. Ask them how they feel about their country and their elected leaders, allowing them to be deployed into combat over and over and over in wars that have never been declared. Ask them how they feel about the politicians who are too chicken to put their name on the line before we put our boots on the ground. There are respected charities which assist with veteran housing, veteran counseling, veteran employment, and acquiring prosthetics and other medical equipment. Go make a donation. Yeah, make a contribution to Bring Our Troops Home. An amazing organization. I've worked with them before. I really like them. Dan McKnight's a great guy. They have a, done a tremendous effort in trying to change our foreign policy by changing the incentives on the ground. Uh, but beyond that, I hope everyone... You know, it takes to heart that, you know, our Veterans Day is a difficult day, you know, for a lot of us who want to see a better foreign policy because we don't want to, we don't want to stand on, you know, something like that to, to like make the point. But I, what I hope for is a peaceful future where there are no more veterans because they're not needed to serve in war, that we have a peaceful planet where folks can get along. It's naive of me, maybe, but one where, you know, at minimum, our, our representatives have the courage to put their name on the line if they're going to send uh, folks to go to war. So hope everyone has a great Veterans Day and a, and a great weekend. Absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. Jake, happy birthday. Happy birthday, man. We appreciate you for watching, and we will see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash humanreactionpod.